guest diddly 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 dee today. Bangly bang. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. I've stolen your thunder. It's like a it's like a, a collaboration, a collab, as the kids say, isn't it? Chris X collab. James. Chris X oh, no, that's, James. That's a very different type of film. <laughs> yes, that's Chris Triple X James. That's uh, <laughs> my word. Uh, Chris Hewitt featuring James Dyer on Diddly Diddly Dees. I would like to opt out of this entire narrative. <laughs> that's fair. On the Empire Podcast this week, <laughs> no one will save you from this introduction, apparently, but no one will save you from no one will save you, director Brian Duffield. He's a lovely bloke, really. Oh. Which is nice. Plus, we climb into the pool with old man in the pool, creator, star, writer, performer, Mike Berbiglia. All that, plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has wet feet. <laughs> That's accurate. S- still from last night. Yes. No, from this afternoon. You guys not been out? Yes. But it's not raining that much. It not, is torrential. Not compared to last night, it's Rivers not. of I water. I swam home last night from Bermondsey, so... Well, there's a sea in Bermondsey, so naturally... Is there? No, James, it's because Bermondsey is a pun. Oh, I Hello see. I was going to say, there are no seas in East London. Hello, pod. <laughs> we must always assume that someone has listened to this podcast for the first time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Dear God. <laughs> Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, as you can tell, I have a cold. Uh, either that, I had a birthday yesterday, so obviously it was out late last night. <laughs> on the lash. On the lash. Spicy chicken and Spicy chips. Spicy chicken burger, yes. I went to see the old man in the pool. Uh, Hell's Bells accompanied me to that, because I can't go out in public on my own. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I swore to you I was going to have a chicken burger, a spicy chicken burger you and did. chips when I came home, because my local, um, not KFC, my local Colonel Ripoff Emporium, uh, huh. Had a lovely deal in the in the in the window, chicken burger and chips for four pounds thirty, and I was like, "Oh, that's keeping me alive, that's keeping me alive." So I, I kept going, I kept going through the day, and I and I got it, I got it, I ate it, oh. I regretted it, but I ate it. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. Uh, a beautiful story. Anyway, remorse. if you're listening to this for the first time, I can only apologize. Uh, <clears throat> I do hope you stick around. It gets better. <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> I'm told. <laughs> I'm told it gets better. Um, I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning in the pod booth with me today. You've already heard from both of them, as if there won't. <laughs> Helen O'Hara is here, our, our geek queen. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well. I am also slightly rained on uh, today. It has been horrible weather here in mm. London. And I went out without proper preparation yesterday, which is a rookie error. I, You know, usually I'm that person. Do you normally just like spray yourself down with Scotch Guard? Yes. I'm yeah. like uh, Frank Drebin in The Naked Gun, just wearing a giant six-foot condom. <laughs> you know, and it keeps you dry. And, it does keep you, you dry know, and safe. And yeah. safe, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Do practice safe sex, kids. But um, mm. yeah, no. Otherwise, otherwise, all's well. I mean, apart from like the arrival of autumn, and you know, with it, yeah, it's, and, it's funny, isn't it? Because it happens. We're also joined by <laughs> oh hi, our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Yes, who weirdly enough, you wouldn't know this to hear him gate crashing this podcast. <laughs> uh, hosts another podcast, and do you tolerate this on? Oh, obviously, yeah, listen, the pilot. Is it what it Pilot TV podcast? Yeah, you know, this is the first time that you have voluntarily off your own back mentioned the Pilot TV podcast without me doing it first. Absolutely and not. This true. this high in the show. So that's 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 impressive. Yes, impressive this, this is it. My one. <laughs> this We're is done. it. This one and done. Yeah, the box ticket. Do I tolerate this kind of? No, I run a tight ship, Chris. I've got to be honest with you. Unlike this, because you're a pilot, <laughs> indeed. Unlike your sort of unruly approach to things, I I you know I crack the whip. I keep Boyd and Kate in line. 
Yeah. Like a Tory MP. That's know? right. That's right. I, I, I brook no, no insert. That's not true at all. Kate basically beats me up on most episodes. Um, pilot, pilot, is it this anarchic? Sometimes, yes. All right. Okay. If you're listening to this for the first time, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Once again, I can only apologize. If you're listening to this for the hundredth time, thank you. <laughs> thank you and Why? we're so sorry Why? We are so uh, sorry Yes Do you know what? Yes. Do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little call to action We uh, we do a thing on the Pilot TV podcast at the oh end of each God. episode No, no, no this is, this is, this Can is, I come on is... your podcast and just relentlessly plug this one? Is you that, is you that... have done in the past but that's fine I mention the Empire podcast all the time but I'm saying at the end of I do At the end of the Pilot TV podcast I always entreat people to go on to Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of their choice, and leave us a five-star rating. Yes. And I think people should do that for this podcast as well. People so should. if you listen to the Empire Podcast regularly, and if you tolerate us just about, please do go and say nice things for us in a review. Yes. Unlike the prize pilchard <laughs> the other week. I don't read the reviews. I do, though. I don't read the reviews, but James does, because uh, he's a, a masochist. masochist and. Yeah. He sent uh, Helen and I a, um, a screenshot of someone who had reviewed, given us a very nice review on Apple Podcasts and said it was a very good podcast and he really enjoyed listening to it. And, you know, and we were one of the best around. Yay, yay, yay. But he gave us two stars because we don't put timestamps on the blurb. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, on your, on your podcast device of choice. Now, first of all, I do from time to time, remember to put timestamps on. <laughs> time to time stamps. Second of all, what the fuck? <laughs> Third of all, you can't put timestamps on it because you can't accommodate for the adverts, which will well, throw all the timestamps out say of whack. I say approx, taking into consideration the fact that we have sometimes pre-rolls and mid-rolls yes. and post-rolls and all kinds of roles. Rolls Swiss and rolls. Oh, uh, proud to save sex. And, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on that, that, that you're right, Jimbo, bumps it off by a little bit. But uh, I'm sorry, you enjoyed the podcast, but you're giving <laughs> us a punitive rating of two stars. Yeah. All right, I'm going to timestamp this. I'm going to timestamp this. All right? <laughs> Bite me. I mean, Bite me, timestamp boy. Bite me. Fair. Do we have a question? Well, before we do, can I <laughs> yes. can I derail it once again before oh, we do Oh, for that? God's sake. And we should mention that we had a really good time last week with our... We said we wouldn't speak about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, okay, fine. We please, also please had a really good time on a different evening <laughs> oh, no. uh, when we did our Drunk Women Solving Crime slash Empire crossover podcast, yes, which will be on this did. feed before long. This feed, You'll yes. You'll be able to listen to it. You will be. Um, we solved a crime, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> we did. Kind of. Kind of. Helen was very aware of the outcome of that crime the minute it was raised, and um, I didn't had, know I was so, like like spoiling the mystery, and had forgotten that we had been specifically told by the producer that if you know what happened in this <laughs> crime, do not yell out. At the point when I guessed, it wasn't clear that that was the thing that was being discussed. Okay. I just I didn't know we were talking about the person we were talking about. Uh-huh. Until, you know, I guess that it was the person we were talking about. Just that a was load a of mumbo-trumbo, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, it's a, it was a very fun podcast, it and uh, it will be available very, very soon on both the Drunk Women Solving Crime feed and our feed as well. So you can listen to them both. It's exactly the same show. I wouldn't bother. <laughs> but why not? But they're very good. Well, they're, they're very good. one will have timestamps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think they do, actually. I don't think they do timestamps. Do you know what's better than timestamps? Bookmarks. 
You can bookmark. bookmark parts of the podcast so people can actively just move to the bit they want to move to. Unfortunately, our podcast platform does not support bookmark. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> well, that was a great solution that you but, gave to us. But and other, then other better away. podcasts can have bookmarks. This explains why drunk women solving crime don't do timestamps because right. they got bookmarks. They got bookmarks. Yeah. <laughs> I like bookmarks. I have a small stack. Okay. Should we have a question? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, God, please. The question comes from Chris Hewitt, and he goes, how the fuck can I start this podcast again? <laughs> um, how do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? <laughs> okay, here's one, and this comes on from, uh, this is from Bob, simply Bob Sherfield. And he asks, following on from last week's question, where we heroically saved cinema, if you remember, <laughs> cast your mind back. Um, and we didn't bother about little things like where the money would come from to do that. Anyway, shop. He says, given the amount of prestige TV shows, yes. this is right up your street, oh, pilot no. boy. <laughs> Could certain episodes of these being shown in cinemas be a boost to the industry? No. <laughs> right. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast. I, I, I don't en- think so. I well, think I've so. enjoyed watching certain things. So we, mm. all of us, I think, watched the Breaking Bad finale, didn't we? On the big screen. Which no, is very I didn't no, you didn't go. I was on Honeymoon. Okay. Well, there was a Netflix screening of that, which was lovely. <laughs> they've, they've had- honeymoon. That's <laughs> how so Benicio Del Toro says it in <laughs> License to Kill. And and Game of Thrones finale was on big screens uh, in some places. Oh, I'm I didn't pretty see sure. it on the big screen, but uh, I've seen a few like Ahsoka. Obviously, we saw an episode. Yep. You guys yep. saw an episode. I have recently. to say, we've seen we've now shown two episodes of Star Wars TV shows on the big screen as part of our VIP club shenanigans yep. and whatnot. So recently, we did the episode five of Ahsoka in a, in a screening in London, and before that, we did a John Favreau Q and A, which came after screening chapter sixteen of the Mandalorian Bum-bum. episode. Eight of season two were, mm. you know, Stuff spoiler alert. And Helen and I watched uh, an episode of The Wheel of Time. Two episodes, wasn't it? The two Wheel episodes, of Time recently. Yes. Which yeah. is very exciting. We must do a pilot TV yes, plus must. spoiler special for Wheel of Time season yeah, two will. because it's great. Are you? Are you? The Rings of Power. We did a special yes. screening of yes, that as that well. The final that episode. Was fun. And and one thing that like becomes very very clear is that even though the there are TV shows and obviously then clearly shot with smaller cameras, it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. On on the big screen, I, my understanding is that's how it works on TV. That yes. the cameras are smaller, and yeah, that's right. They're, they're, they're small, little <laughs> yeah. pocket-sized cameras. That's how they mount. But they, they blow them up very nicely on the overhead projector in which they show them. That's right. Oh. Foundation, oh, foundation would look amazing in IMAX. That would be pretty incredible. Look, I I don't object to it, but I think it's a it's a sort of a one it's a one night only event cinema type thing at best that you do in the way that they do those, you know. Royal Opera House or Globe Theatre or, you know, RSC or National Theatre Productions where they put them on for the night of broadcast. At the time of broadcast, it would it would have to be like that. And it probably would be finales and yeah. big battles. And it would be only the biggest shows. And it would be to make it actually kind of worthwhile. I think you're probably talking about only the very, very biggest shows and the very biggest uh, cities. Yeah. Around the country. I it becomes don't quite think, metropolitan elite, doesn't it? I, I think it would, just mm. because I don't think everybody is going to leave their home and want to see it on the big screen. It is great. It can be really good fun. You know, we have really enjoyed those those times that we've gotten to do it. But at the same time, even we sometimes have been like a bit like, could you just not send me a screener? Like, just I'm just really tired. Just I just want to watch it at home, yeah. you know, wrapped up in a blanket while well, eating my dinner. I agree. I, I don't think this is what's going to save cinema. Someone else tweeted us actually and, and, and asked a different thing, which is they said, uh, do we think that if they m- increased the window 
between theatrical and home end by like a mandatory, let's say, eight months or something. Would that revitalize cinema? To which I'd say the answer is a resounding yes, right? They're I never going to do think, it. But. No, I think that would I think that would massively help. Actually, I, I think the problem is right. So uh, you know, a few years ago, all the studios seemed to pivot to this belief that their own streaming services were what were, was going to revive their their fortunes. Yeah, and that's why they started cutting down the window so they could put stuff on their own streaming services as soon as possible and make those services as as enticing a proposition as possible. Right. That was that's kind of what happened. Um, and that hasn't necessarily paid off. Certainly not for everybody, but it has damaged. The, the the cinema proposition and it has taught yes. people not to worry yeah. about you know we're seeing things in the cinema could it be in your front room in six weeks and I do understand like just just before people are probably shouting at their podcast uh, apparatus of choice right now I understand there are people who can't get out of the house easily whether through disability caring responsibilities whatever I understand that there are people who can't afford regular cinema trips I understand that there are parts of the country that have shit choices of cinemas I understand all that. But equally, if we are going to support cinema as a medium, there is a case, I think, for at least re-widening the cinema window. And I think that would help. Now, we can negotiate about the details, but six weeks to three months is damaging the cinema proposition. And and it's and look, the, the studios clearly think, fuck it, we don't care. Yeah. But, you know, as a cinema lover, I think there, maybe I do. But the way, I don't know that that would do much, if I'm honest. If if you say, for example, you had a film that came out, everything's changed now. Everyone's conditioned to go see these things, pretty much, by and large. Obviously, some people can for some of the reasons Helen said. Um, but by and large, people are now conditioned to go see these things open weekend, or if you can't do that, second weekend, and at the very latest, go see it at the third weekend. Uh, otherwise, it's gone. But I just think the days of really, really relentless sleeper hits are are gone. I think you could have kept Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in screens for six months. It wouldn't have made much no, of a difference. No, I agree. But I don't think it's about exhibition window. I don't think it's about okay. how long it's in the cinemas. I think it's just simply how long before it comes on home ends. Because I think even if it's in the theatres for exactly the same amount of time, if people knew there was zero chance of them being able to see it for six months, they'd go opening weekend. They'd, they'd make that decision that they would see it in the cinema instead of making the decision okay, where yeah. I'm not going to go at all. I'm just not going to bother because I'll be able to watch it sooner. But what about later. piracy? Piracy is a huge thing now that it, it wasn't. It would, back help, in the day. it would help piracy as well because what gets piracy? You don't want to help piracy. No. James. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bad. Oh, we're not helping the pirates? But think about the poor starving pirates. No. <laughs> that guy's I mean, already got a wooden leg, for God's sake. <laughs> He's got one eye. He's got to support um, a parrot. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, uh, I mean, it will help with piracy because what gets pirated, it's the good quality when they when they've written off the streaming services. Like when they're available for like people want those ones, like the ones where it's like shaky, like I filmed it on my phone in the cinema. Oh, look, someone's got up to get some popcorn. That's not a great viewing experience, even if you're one for pir pirated stuff. You know, you're going to want the stuff that, so when it's on, I guess, Blu-ray and when it's on streaming, that's when good quality pirate copies arrive, right? Mm -hmm. So if that, comes later, then good quality pirate copies also come later, which again means go and see it in the cinema. Alright. How about we make it compulsory? What? Just cinema going. Yeah. Yeah, obviously we're in favour of that. What, like I national think. service? Everyone has to go to the cinema <laughs> on a Friday yeah. night. I mean, one of the batshit insane <laughs> policies are being introduced seemingly every day. Um, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. No, no, no. What, what Stick it in do? one of the seven bins and then... <laughs> 
<laughs> what we do is we announce that we're not going to make it compulsory to we're go not, to the cinema weekly. But we're not, not going like, to make it compulsory. No, no, no. We, we say we're not going to make it compulsory. And everyone's like, when were you going to make it compulsory, you weirdos? <laughs> yeah. You know, it'll be fun. I quite like that. I quite like I think, you know, I think that's a, that's a good idea. Making cinema going compulsory. Great. Super cool idea. I can't see any problems or downsides No, you get to whatsoever. choose the film, obviously, but you still have to pay. Yeah, that's not a super like once liberal a month. option, but once a month, I do feel like or once six a months month in the ISO cubes. Wow, wow, okay. <laughs> you are the law. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to argue it. See, I have won. That's democracy it. has once again triumphed. It that's has. not what democracy is. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to say about this? About how, anything else about how to save cinema? For me, it's about it, it is about pricing, and it's really tricky because cinemas have to keep their prices at a certain level, otherwise they won't be able to pay their staff or indeed um, stay open. Mm. Which compulsory cinema going would do a lot to turn I mean, around. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. There you mm-hmm. go. Vote for me, <laughs> Vote Chris for, me. for prime minister. <laughs> yeah, more like a patrician, you know. <laughs> one man, one vote. He's the man. He has the vote. Mm-hmm. Vote for none of the above. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Happy. Great. Yeah. Moving on. Super good. Yeah. Moving on. We've saved cinema. Okay. <laughs> no need to thank us, cinema. <laughs> Just another day in the job. Uh, right. Should we have a guest? Let's have a guest. Oh, That's wait. It. No, let's tell people how to get in touch. Still Twitter. That's my, the, main, the main show in town. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on Threads. I'm we on Instagram. But it is Twitter. Well, that is the main thing still. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course, or you can wait for a panicked shout-out every now and again. All right, let's have a guest. Who should we have? Mike Birbiglia or Brian Duffield? Mike Birbiglia, because I saw the show with you last night and it was fucking great. It was fucking great. So this is Mike Birbiglia, who is a comedian and a writer and an actor and a director. And Jimbo, he has been in... The Expanse. A Taylor Swift video. (gasps) Which one? Antihero. I thought you'd which know. I finally Fed listened fan. to. The and song. I, yeah, I listened to. I watched the video on the on the way into uh, to the the studio because Mike Birbiglia was sitting where you were sitting. So your buttocks are in the same <gasps> seat as someone whose whose buttocks, buttocks have rubbed up against Taylor on, Swift. No, no James. What? But they were on the same set as Taylor Swift. That's close enough. Uh, what was he in the video? But one of her kids who reads out the will. Okay. In that video, I, I've uh, never heard okay. the song, and now I understand where. I'm the problem. It's me. I'm yes, the problem. I, which I, I say quite a lot. Yeah, I understand where that, that comes from now. Yeah, and I, you know, I thought it was a it was a good song. Anyway, Mike Birbiglia, uh, he is a fantastic comedian, actor, writer, director, and of course, as we've already said, star of Taylor Swift's anti-hero video. And he's in town at the moment because he has brought his one man show, his latest one man show, The Old Man and the Pool, which tells the tale of how he confronted fears about his mortality, shall we say, in a rather unusual fashion. Uh, it's playing at the Wyndham's Theatre in London. Yes, in London. Sorry, folks. Uh, but, you know, it's great. It is playing for another two and a half weeks or so until the first week of October. And then off he goes back to the US. Uh, he, of course, is also, he's been in things like A Man Called Otto. He directed a, a film I really liked. It came out a few years ago called Don't Think Twice. He was also in it as well. And he is a very, very, very funny man indeed. As I discovered, when he sat in that chair, the chair that is now being occupied by James Dyer's buttocks. Here's Mike Birbiglia and his buttocks. Do please enjoy. 
we are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Mike Berbiglia, who, and Mike, I was struggling with how to introduce you because usually when we have people on the show, it is in their guise as a film director, film writer, film actor, and I would go, I would just go, the writer and star of The Old Man in the Pool. But how would you describe yourself in terms of a, a theater production? Performer, creator, writer, all of the above? I always just say comedian. You know, I make, movie, yeah. I make movies. Uh, you know, I made Sleepwalk With Me and Don't Think Twice. I make mm-hmm. these solo shows, the one that, The Old Man in the Pool, uh, that's in the West End right now. And uh, I, the, my bottom line is always, you, you try to have it be funny. <laughs> you try and have your comedies whether, be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it's, <laughs> whether it's a movie or a, one of those avant-garde show. unfunny comedies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So it's yeah. I would say comedian. It's comedian. The easiest, it's the easiest catch-all. It's the easiest thing because people will go, oh, oh, yeah. I'll see that. I'll see that. I'm hearing it's a, it's a comedy show. I will laugh. That's good. Whereas if I'm going, please welcome the creator and performer of the Old Man in the Pool. They're like, I don't know what that is. Well, yeah, and I think like you have to go with what you have. You know, like like. Not a lot of shows are that funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? But a lot of shows are dramatic. Yeah. A lot of shows that can make you cry and not a lot of shows can make you laugh. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'll go with laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that I can do. Yeah, that's it. And then it. if people say, feel something, which I hope they do, and a lot of times they do. I did. Because it's about death. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, then great. You know what I mean? Like, like that. I always think of it. My director, Seth Barish, and I always think of the shows in relation to this. Okay, we're going to make it. I'm going to tour it for years. Like this show, I toured for three or four years as a work in progress mm-hmm. before it went to Broadway for 12 weeks last year. And and now is here for four weeks. Um, and we try to get it to a point where it just laughs wall to wall. In this case, it's like jokes for 90 minutes about death. You know, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. hopefully, and this is the sort of part two of it, is that it arrives somewhere that's surprising but inevitable and a little emotional. Yeah. And if it doesn't get there, that's okay. But but you got to have the laughs, I feel like. You got to have the laughs. <laughs> you you, you got to lure them in a little yeah, bit. We yeah. hit them with the hard stuff. I Yeah, that's how I feel. And also there's just a lot of drama. And, and the world is dramatic. Yeah, very much so. The, existence is, is dramatic. <laughs> so so you, you've been performing this now for, for a long, long time. It is clearly something you... Do you ever forget where you are? Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you forget your lines? I heard recently that Elton John sometimes forgets his lyrics. And that made me feel so much better. Well, my, I'm a huge R.E.M. fan, uh, Michael Stipe. Oh, yeah, I've heard that too. Always. He just could not remember his line. Um, I mean, part of that's because his lyrics early on were just gibberish. But this will, By the way, this will crush you because yeah. I'm a big R.E.M. fan too. All right. I have, some, I have some people who work on my show who are in their 20s. Well, this orange crush me. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we were, I made a reference to R.E.M. Right. And they go, what's that? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go, REM, the band? No, what's that? No, REM. You never heard of the band REM? Like, and these are like hip people, good taste, you know. Right. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I was just like, oh wow, everything turns over ten every ten years. Yeah. Well, then now they're back. They're being my, my, our little secret. Oh, yeah. There are <laughs> there are little fine. secret. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. Right. Yeah, they're not the biggest band in the world anymore. It's it's it's, it's okay. Apparently, yeah. yeah. If they ever were, I, I don't know. They but. were huge, though. Yeah, I mean, between them and and you two and a handful of other bands, they sort of defined a certain type of music. I feel like they certainly did. I don't know. We're off track. But. We aren't. Well, that's 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 that's, that's okay. part of the course on this thing. But okay. uh, but yeah. So you you uh, you go down the Elton John Michael Stein 
rule. I didn't see you using an auto cue last night. No. You have no, no props no. on stage. You weren't doing the Marlon Brando thing of picking up something <laughs> no. with your. <laughs> it's the old no. man in the what? <laughs> the old man in the yeah the the watch. Um, uh, no, no. I I mean I've I I don't really lose my way in the show and also I like to feel like my, my favorite part about the show and there's a part of the show and I, I won't give it away you saw it there's a part of the show that's really different every night that's interactive yes. with the audience yes. and so that's my favorite part of the show because every night I'm like what's this going to be like yes I'm not going to go into details too much but I can imagine that's something that you can really stretch out or depending on reactions you have to no you're absolutely right no yeah. there are times when that section of the show is like 30 minutes long it's basically without giving <laughs> without giving it away it just kind of plays with the expectation of like in real time it's like a thought experiment almost with the audience of like of like what can we laugh at and what are we yes. comfortable laughing about yes. and sort of like are we laughing and are we not laughing and why is that person laughing which I imagine is a very interesting thought experiment to do with British audiences because we it. have a really fucked up sense of humor well yeah and also like I love the British response to this show and I think it's because two two things one I think it's a very literary crowd so I think people love theater theater is, is treasured here so people really focus on the words which I love and so I have this dumb joke, for example, where where I say, I say, I love pizza so much, I get excited when I see the word plaza. And I go, because the word pizza is exciting. It has pizza slices in it. Each of the Z's is two slices. The A is a slice. It's five slices in one word, which is a rarely used literary device I invented called Anamata Pizza. Now, <laughs> that, that does better in London than anywhere in the world. And I think it's because London's just a bunch of nerds, or at least yeah. The people who come to my show are. And then the second second thing I love is I talk a lot in the show about how my parents and I don't really say I love you, even though we do love each other. We just don't say I love you. We say take care. And I think that the audience reaction to that is very uh, much indicating that also they do not say I love you to their <laughs> parents. <laughs> Extreme circumstances. And that's what it seems like. Yeah. yeah, extreme circumstances. Yeah, yeah. In the middle Hospital, of a car crash. Yeah, car. In the, <laughs> in the mid, middle of a car. Yeah, there's about two and a half seconds there, right? As you're rolling over. Yeah, yeah. I love you. In the rollover. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think uh, I really do think that there is. It's a different sense of humor in Britain. Yeah, and I like it. I like it a lot. Is that why you wanted to bring the show here? Yeah, I love London. I just love love the people. I love being here. I mean, on my podcast, Working It Out, I've had Nish Kumar and Ashley B and, and Jimmy Carr. They're actually some of my most popular guests ever on the podcast. And it's an American, mostly American comics on the podcast, working out new material. And they're some of the most uh, exciting guests. People, the, the British sense of humor is just like it's its, its own ball of wax I mean maybe I mean Ashley is Irish I think technically but oh yeah she'll be up in arms about that yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah I, no. I straddle I'm Northern Irish so I can straddle Ireland and Britain <laughs> like a colossus but but it's uh no I I just love the sense of humor here and I love the people and I love you know the whole I love the city I just love walking I'm a walk I'm a New Yorker so it's like I love walking around the city yes it's like my favorite thing on, on your way here today, um, you were saying, your publicist in the room with us, uh, 
Hi, Jake. <laughs> yeah, Jake. Hey. And uh, you texted him saying, I'm three blocks away. Yeah, and you no didn't one, know it. No one says blocks. Yeah, it's blocks. Yeah. yeah it's just, know. it's streets. Yeah. It's a it's, simple one. It's a maze. London's a maze. It's just, I'm three, really I'm three hedges away. No, I was pretty sure that I did some kind of snake to get here in terms of how <laughs> the direction was. I didn't see, I was like, oh, I couldn't I have just gone directly here? I think I just yeah. went around in four circles. It's delicious when you, when you really know the city. I'm not from here, but when you really begin to know the city and you find yeah. nooks and crannies, little passages and shortcuts you can yeah. take, it's just, it's just glorious. Well, yeah, it's got, it's got a Harry Potter energy to it. It does, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna take. I'm trying. I'm gonna try to take my daughter to Harry Potter. She's gonna come next week. My daughter's eight. She just oh, got into Harry Potter, so I took that's a sweet spot. Yeah. yeah. So I took. I took, uh, my wife and I took her to Edinburgh, Scotland. Yeah. For the festival a few weeks ago, and she just lost her mind. It was the greatest. Because <laughs> that's like Harry Potter, Phil, isn't it? So it it's is. Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Yeah. No. It's 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 where Rowling wrote a lot of at the you know like every cafe is like this is where she wrote it. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't know. She wrote the word <laughs> Harry here. She wrote the word Potter in that place over there. <laughs> it's like the equivalent. It, it's Edinburgh's equivalent of New York City's famous Ray's Pizza. <laughs> Speaking of pizza, yeah. are you happy with London pizza? It's all right. I mean, so far. I mean, look, I don't have... People should send me the recommendations on Instagram. It's uh, at Burbigs. But it's like, there's one place that I like called... Uh, gosh, I think it's called Home Slice. Home Slice. And, yeah, and that was quite good. That, I've had that twice. That's good. Yeah, no, I, I think that that was, that was pretty strong. It's in Neil Yard, I think. Neil's yard, yeah, yeah. Neil's yard, yeah. that was great. Yeah. So, so I'm actually for that. And then I, I ate at the famous uh, the Indian restaurant recently, which I, I love. Um, I know there's a ton of them, but um, Dishum, Dishum, yeah, Dishum, that was great. Okay, so you've been you've you've been on the culinary tour. Yeah, I don't well. like. I mean, I got in trouble the other day. I was on the breakfast show, the uh, lunch, Sunday brunch. Oh, yes. And <laughs> do you see this? Do you see what happened? This is crazy. It was me and this boxer man, Amir Khan. I think that's his what name they was. call him. They call him Boxer Man. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> Boxer Man. And then mm. he goes, he goes. You know, this could use a little salt or like something like that. You know. <laughs> And and I when he said it, I was thinking because we're eating some kind of thing, pastry they made or something. And the whole time, when he said it, I was like, that's what I've been thinking the whole time. The food's not that good. You know, so I chimed in and I go, wait, are we supposed to say if it's good or it's not good? Because I'll go with whatever it is. I just don't understand the show that well. And then in The Sun, which is a publication here, apparently, yeah, uh, they wrote an article about how uh, everyone flipped off the television angrily on <laughs> Sunday brunch because me and the boxer man uh, had been disrespectful to the breakfast, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm a comedian. I'm supposed to be honest here. <laughs> that was my truth. I'm, tr I'm just my speaking truth. truth to power, man. That was my truth. The power was the, the it was a powerful <laughs> breakfast, and I spoke truth to it. <laughs> so anyway, that's my experience of the media in, in Britain. So, so far. you're, you're well, public enemy number one. Apparently. All right. Okay. Apparently. So just by being on this podcast, I'm going to be cancelled. Is that? Is that I think that's happens? how it works. But like the, I don't. I literally, I'm so confused by that show. And they're lovely people who run the show. I just don't understand whether we're supposed to say we like the breakfast or we don't like the breakfast. Are we supposed to be critical about them? Are we supposed to be honest about the breakfast? Or are we supposed to just be like, this is wonderful, hat, cheerio, whatever the, you know, <laughs> whatever your British expressions are for yay? Yeah, love a duck. 
Love a duck. Love yeah. a duck. Should Should I I love a duck. If I had said love a duck, would they have been like, this is our best guest ever? <laughs> they would have done, yeah. <laughs> you would have immediately you would have been next in line to the throne yeah they would have anointed you well you know the, the I king. love you thing I was uh, my opening night yeah I was talking to some friends about how British people don't say I love you to their kids and that that's my theory and this one guy goes uh, when we were kids they said uh Jolly good. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. As a substitute for I love you, jolly good. <laughs> just a, just a, a light, playful tap on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Jolly, jolly, jolly good. good. Well jolly good. Run along now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My fr- Actually, yeah. You know, it's a great, it's a film podcast. You know, yeah. it's a great uh, British film that was directed by an American friend of mine, Frank Oz, Death at a Funeral. Oh my God, I love that. So you know Frank Oz? I do. Yeah. How long have you known he Frank Oz? He gave me, yeah. He, as a matter of fact, he gave notes on The Old Man in the Pool. And he gave notes on uh, uh, Don't Think Twice, my last movie, and mm-hmm. just in the script process. Right. Um, he came over. I did like an informal reading at my apartment, and he gave notes. And he, he's just always, he's a very generous artist. He's like one of the great f- comedic filmmakers. I mean, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, What About Bob? Mm-hmm. Death at a Funeral. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. has made some bangers. And, of course, he's Miss Piggy and Yoda. And Yoda. Which is... No less. It is, ain't bad. It ain't bad. How long have you known him, and how did you, how did you know him? I've known him about 15 years, I think. Um, through my director, Seth Barish, he, mm-hmm. he had worked with him over the years on a handful of small you know, projects and things, and they became friends. But he's, uh, yeah, no, he's a very, very generous guy. Do you ever get to the point where, you, you know, you're clearly friends with him? Do you get to the point where you can go... Oh, Frank, can you bust out a Fozzie or do a quick Yoda? <laughs> I did. Uh, you know, it's funny. He was in the audience for Thank God for Jokes, which is one of my solo shows, where yeah. I talk about how I accidentally said <laughs> fuck on a live Muppet show <laughs> by accident. You know, because it was a weird thing where they, they introduced me and... I walked on, but then I didn't have the stool that I was supposed to carry out and all this stuff. And I looked around and go, ah, fuck. And uh, and then I, the joke is I go, you know who doesn't like fuck is the the Muppets and, uh, and, and, and the people who enjoy watching the Muppets. And then <laughs> and so I do an impression of kind of like all of the Muppets reacting like, ah, you know, cut to like I'm. Frank Oz is in the front row and he's like half the Muppets, you know, the voices. And uh <laughs> And it was, I was very self-conscious. And and so afterwards, I said to him, I go, do you, you know, I do the Muppets. I do Animal in the show. I do Fozzie Bear. Mm-hmm. I go, do you have any tips? It's crazy that I got to do this. Do you have any tips for doing these voices? Because I have to do them on the show every night. <laughs> and he goes, well, what you need to know about Animal, Animal, if people don't know, is a Muppet who plays drums. Yeah. He goes, well, the thing about Animal <laughs> is that... uh he uh, he loves playing the drums, and he loves uh, eating glass, and he loves sex. And I was like, "What? <laughs> That's the backstory on Animal." <laughs> you heard it here. I can see it. I can see it he now. Eats glass. He eats glass. And like sex, not at the same time. I'm guessing. No, but you I never hope know. not. I hope you never not. Know. But you never know. Animals wild. He sounds like a character from a David Cronenberg movie. No, I agree. <laughs> so many well, you know, well, you know, that was actually Frank. I, as far as I understand, it, I think that was Frank's directorial debut. Was one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid. Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh my word! Saw it in the theater. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah, it's a belter. Oh, 
Fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, because you are uh, striking as part of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, uh, it means that conventionally, traditionally, when we do interviews like this, we can't really talk about your oh, past yeah. projects, sure, yeah. certainly in terms of movies, uh, which is a shame because I, I really, really like Don't Think Twice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and, and that movie is interesting. I'm someone who's always had a fascination with improv. Yeah. But I've only ever gone as far as taking one class <laughs> and going, yeah. all right, okay. Uh, I, I very much didn't uh, um, yes and that one. But that's fascinating to me because Don't Think Twice is a movie that both encourages, I think, an interest in and a fascination of, with him, improv, but also says, no, <laughs> don't do this. This will be bad for your for everything. Yeah, I mean, that was a movie about these best friends this is from 2016 i feel mm -hmm. like we can talk about this because it's not something i'm promoting <laughs> it's a movie from <laughs> almost seven years ago yeah. uh and it's i don't think anyone's making any money off it certainly i don't think you know whatever but yeah no it's a movie it's a movie that that uh is about a bunch of best friends and an improv group and then one of them gets cast on a saturday night live type of show and then the rest of them in the improv group don't and it's about sort of what happens when people realize that their dreams aren't going to come true in the, the way they thought. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was a really special experience because we, it was me and Keegan Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs, Tammy Sager, Kate McCucci, Chris Gethard, and we all got together and we did improv for like a couple of weeks and rehearsed. And we studied with Liz Allen, an improv coach, and we, we became an improv group. And, you know, did you we, do shows? Yeah, we did a couple of shows. Just under the radar, unveiled, and people like, presumably recognized you guys. When UCB, you, yeah, UCB Theater. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I mean, they they seem to go pretty well the shows. Right. And then, like you know, Gillian Jacobs, for example, who's a wonderful actor, she had never done improv before, and she's a star of the movie, and so she had to plausibly become like as good as Keegan Michael Key, who had been doing improv for like twenty years. And was in one of the greatest sketch comedy shows of all time, Key and Peele. Yeah, she had to become essentially as good as him, and she did. I mean, she she really felt believably so. And then also, you know, the other acting job is we all had to plausibly become best friends. You know, seemingly these people who had been best friends for 15, 20 years. And yeah, so it was fun. I mean, you know, one of my models for that movie was the trip, because you know Steve Steve yeah, Coogan, yeah, yeah. Michael Winterbottom, yeah. all those guys. Because I loved that movie. I loved that I couldn't find the seams when I was watching it between what is written and what is unwritten. Yeah. And I just love, I love movies like that. I love being tricked by movies. I love being lured into the sense of like, wait a minute. What is that? Wait, is that, are that, is that what they're really like? Yeah. And then, and then afterwards you're digging into it, you know, um, is that what the experience tar, tar is like that to a degree. Yeah. You know, Tar is a yeah. great example of like, I, the first thing I did after Tar is I looked up, is this a person? <laughs> is this a real person? <laughs> did you? Or maybe you, maybe you knew already. No, I, I knew she wasn't real, but it's, it's fascinating watching how the internet kind of tried to will her into being. Oh my gosh. No, no, I was fully tricked by Tar. I followed the fake Tar account <laughs> uh, earnestly after I saw the movie. <laughs> Any plans to direct again? Obviously, strikes notwithstanding. <clears throat> yeah, I'm writing a. I've been writing a movie for like four or five years. Um, that is in different cafes around Edinburgh. <laughs> They're already doing the tour. <laughs> They're already <laughs> selling tickets for that tour. Mike Birbiglia's third movie 
writing cafe tour. Berbiglia would be a great word to say in a Scottish accent. Oh, by the yeah, way. yeah. Berbiglia. It's. <laughs> uh, Berbiglia. <laughs> it's. Um, uh, no, I'm writing my third film. It's a more ambitious film and than my first two. And it's fun. I'm, I'm excited. It's just a matter of honestly, like, like getting it to a point where, you know, movies are so, I think people don't realize this sometimes about movies, especially independent films, which is why I make smaller films. <laughs> They're so hard to make and they take years to make so that you really want, I mean, I have a version of the script right now. And I think it's very good, but I'm not going to make it until it feels like I have to make this movie. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just going to be in a world of hurt because it's so much and long hours and begging, borrowing, and stealing to make your movie. And you're not getting you, rich off it. Then. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not, yeah, I don't mind talking about Don't Think Twice because I'm like, I don't even know who, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> I don't think anyone's <laughs> making any money on it. <laughs> so the other day, like in Britain, I've had more people ask me about Don't Think Twice than do in America. I think it's somehow, caught it caught on here in some way that i yeah. don't understand like brett goldstein and i talked about it on his podcast yeah, once yeah. and 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 i i just think maybe maybe it connected with people here in a certain way i don't know mike i can't let you go without talking about taylor swift because oh, yeah, sure. uh one of my co-hosts in the show is a massive swifty like a she's massive swifty she's so the greatest can you can you sort of add tickets first of all uh and this is the, <laughs> the bane of my existence this is the this is the <laughs> can you my, the bane of my existence is can you put me in touch with taylor swift can you get me tickets for taylor swift? i was like literally as like i was an actor in one video i don't know what to tell you it's uh no i mean she's she's like she's you know arguably the greatest entertainer in the world at this moment and and for good reason, and 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 by the way, on a filmmaking perspective, is a phenomenal film director. Uh, she wrote and directed that mm-hmm. video. She texted me the script. Do you want to do this? Sure. Yeah, this is fantastic. Hilarious. It's a very funny person. Great, you know, great energy on set. You know, it's from the top down, as you know, with all films from the top down, and with films, it starts with the director. And she's just great energy. She's and she could do. I mean, she's just one of these people. If she wanted to direct feature t- feature films, she'd direct twenty feature films. They'd all be great. Yeah. If she wanted to, you know, make forty more albums, she'd do that. You know, like she's just one of these people who can do anything. Yeah, yeah. So just to be clear, that's a no on the tickets. Tickets? Um. Yeah. No. Not only no. I'm insulted that you asked. <laughs> This interview's over. <laughs> Stop laughing. I, um, <clears throat> my apologies, Mike. My apologies. Please. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so, it is over because I'm about to let you go, actually. <laughs> uh, so, you are performing The Old Man in the Pool for not, how, how long? Not how only long am I. Not only am I, but uh, yeah, two and a half more weeks. Like, uh, 15 more performances. 15 more performances. 15, 16 more performances by the time people hear this. And uh, don't miss it. I mean, it's great. I mean, whole, uh, the Wyndham's Theater, there's no prettier theater in the world. I was very taken by the ceiling last night. Unbelievable. Yeah. Stunning. It's before like the show stunning began, dome. <laughs> was yeah. just wandering off. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny you should say that. I was going to mention it, top of show. Yeah. How gorgeous the dome of the ceiling is. But, but literally, I talked to my director about it. We we're like, no too distracting you can't People will look up yeah 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 you can't 
divert people's attention that much to something that beautiful. But before the show, have at it. And uh, and if and if you like the show, uh, yeah, uh, post a little photo of the ceiling. I'll know. I'll know where you found me. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, there as it's we said, it's our code. It's our bat signal. <laughs> a little wink, a little secret handshake. Uh, and as we know, there is a sort of. A, a portion of the show which is different every night so you yes. would urge people to see it 15 again more times again and yeah. again yeah by all means yeah alright fantastic <laughs> thanks for having me Mike Berbiglia it's been oh, an absolute it's pleasure Mike Berbiglia is it I, oh, is it? That's that's that my, was, that was Irish. That was I Irish know. Movie. That's my take on Irish yeah. people. Is they <laughs> they are, I don't. Is this hacky? Can you can tell me if this is hacky? <laughs> my take on whenever I'm in Ireland, it's always a question. Oh, is it now? <laughs> oh, it's a microphone. Oh, is it now? Is this a computer? Is it? It's like what? Why is everything a question all the time? I don't get it. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of affirmation. For the is that Irish. what it is? Yeah, because we, we always put, we, we always uh, say our sentences, we put something at the end of the sentence. Yeah? You know, so it is, or, you know, or, you know we, we always say, oh, that's a computer, so it is. So we just, oh. we, we make sure, we double check. That's a computer, so it is. Oh, so it is. That... So we do that an awful lot. But there's a lot of questions, a lot of questioning. Frankly, there's a lot to be questioned about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm half Irish. I, I, I hope to, I'm really trying to catch on in Ireland. I never have. <laughs> For real? No, I, I'm not. I'm not even. Wow. I'm not even being facetious. Why? I'm half Irish. My mom's Irish. I, I'm just never caught on there. I never, never. It's never caught fire. Right. Okay. I'll have a word. But but word. I'm hoping the West End carries over to Dublin in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Because I bet you know you know my favorite place in in, in Ireland is Dingle. Dingle. I don't think have I've you ever been, been there. No. Are you been kidding me? It's the no. westernmost point. No. No. It's too far. Oh, you got to go to Dingle. You're from <laughs> Ireland and you've never been to Dingle. <laughs> So I'll tell I've you. I've the I'll dingle as a verb. Dingle story. Visited. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick dingle story. Okay. So one one time about ten years ago, my wife Jenny and I went to Dingle. It's on the farthest most peninsula, and it's you know it's gorgeous, stunning, stunning little town. And um, we're at a pub. Jenny and I are at a pub, and Jen goes, "I think that this town this is when we we're first together. It must have actually more like must have been fifteen years ago." She says to me, she goes, I think this town is famous for its berries. I go, no, I don't think so. She goes, no, I'm sure of it. I go, no, I'm, I really don't think so. And she goes, excuse me, sir. She goes to the pub, the pub manager, the bar bartender. Is this town famous for its berries? <laughs> he starts laughing and he walks over. And he tells a group of Irish strangers at the end of the bar <laughs> this story. And then they all start laughing as the like an audience. <laughs> and uh, that's my Dingleberry story. That's amazing. <laughs> I can and, see now why you haven't caught on in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go over there and immediately ostracize uh, yourself. I didn't mean to. It's my wife. It's Jenny. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. I see you throwing, throwing Jenny onto the bus there. But yeah, we know you were in the room, Mike. We know you were in the room. That's and that's what the show's about. It's about getting hit by any of us can be hit by a bus at any moment. Oh, we always manage to bring it back. Yeah. This, this guy's a pro. He is an <laughs> absolute pro. I thanks love for, it. Thanks for having me. This is over. This is over. This is over. I'm out of here. Bye, Mike. It was over when you asked for the tickets earlier, but now it's really <laughs> over. Now it's completely over. All right. Thanks very much. I'm offended. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye bye. <laughs> Okay, so that was Mike Berbiglia. And if you want to go and see The Old Man in the Pool, which I can heartily recommend, uh, then go to the Wyndham's Theatre box office, I'm presuming. Yeah, if you just... Or Today Ticks, which is, you know, a, a service I use. Or just walk around London.
and eventually you'll wind up at the Wyndham's Theatre. That's how <laughs> these things work. I used to take... Did I use Today Ticks? I think I did. I used one of those recently because I bought tickets to a thing. To Taylor Swift? Uh, no, no. That I, was, I tried that's... to get tickets for Mike, from Mike Birbiglia <laughs> for Taylor you. Taylor Swift. For Taylor Swift <laughs> and he told me to go fuck myself essentially. So, yeah, yeah. I No, I, I have secured my tickets. I'm good. No, I went to see Six. Oh, it's good. It's fabulous. Yes, I thought it was great. Great. Okay. Good stuff. Has there been any movie news? Or should well, we just skip the section? <laughs> so little. I, the only thing I would say is, you know I'm like a crow stan. I do love The Crow. And I love James Hobart's comic as well. Uh, or I should say graphic novel. Um, but um, Lionsgate have secured domestic distribution rights. You know it's a slow news day when you're leading with a domestic distribution rights story. But anyway, uh, for an, an eight-figure sum, they have secured domestic rights to the remake of The Crow, which is, of course, Rupert Sanders' uh, remake starring Bill Skarsgård in the Brandon Lee role. Here's a pop quiz for you two. After Brandon Lee's untimely demise while making The Crow, who was The Crow? As in, who was the crow in, in the next one? No, 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 not in, in the next one. film. That's that's a whole. Let's never talk about those films. But like, who replaced Brandon Lee when they finished the film? Who did they use? Mm-hmm. It was Chad Stahelski. Yeah, there um, you go. That's he was the crow. Wasn't it Vincent Perez at one point? That was that was the. Oh, I'm trying. To, I don't remember what the subtitles are, but yes, he was a subsequent crow in a subsequent film. Mm. Yes, and David were, David Boreanaz. Crows yes. have eyes. They were all terrible apart from the first one. But I, I've got a lot of time for the Alex Perez film. Mm-hmm. Banging soundtrack as well. Not the best Alex Proyas film, of course. No. No. Gods of Egypt? I definitely what? wasn't going to go there. You know, I will go what to Path of Dark fuck? City, which I genuinely yes. love. But, but Chris, Chris is thinking knowing. <laughs> I am thinking knowing. And I'm always knowing because... <laughs> He's always yeah, thinking knowing. He's thinking knowing. Yeah. Uh, because you can't get better than a flaming elk. You can't. You can't. That's where Stanley Kubrick went wrong. <laughs> Not enough flaming elks in his movies. <laughs> Take that, Kubrick, you hack. <sighs> Any movie news? Uh, Anything at all? So there was so this little. story. There was a yeah. story that John that? Watts. John Watts. He's off to the Bermuda Triangle, and I'm like, "Don't do that, John Watts. No, you'll never come back because you'll disappear and stuff." Uh-huh. But uh, yes, apparently he is linked to uh, a project, a thriller about the Bermuda Triangle. Of course, the <laughs> infamous patch of real estate in the world it's near Bermuda I believe um, where uh, things go missing apparently and yeah. people have for years have uh, things, speculated just, just, just to be clear we're not talking like oh no a watch my watch oh I've lost yeah. my glasses no like ships, ships and planes and shit go missing yeah. in the Bermuda Triangle with people on them with people on them yeah, yeah. not even like empty ones yeah uh, and so there's lots of people over the years been going what is this is this is this aliens? Do they sail into an alternate dimension? Are they eaten by a dinosaur? What's going on? All of on? the above. All yeah. of the above, actually. Uh, and, you know, they try to make this movie for a long, long time. Sam Raimi was attached to I'm not sure whether this is the same one, but I suspect it might be. Uh, Sam Raimi was attached to this for a while, uh, but uh, his interest disappeared. And uh, so now John Watts apparently is circling it. Okay, fair enough. Which is good. Which is good. Before, of course, he directs um, Avengers Secret Wars. That's 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 happening, is it? That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay. okay. He's going to take. He's taking time away. Yeah. They're going to dangle a big carrot in front of him, and they're going to say, "Come like, back." Like a literal carrot. No, oh. like a metaphorical carrot. Right. And they're mm-hmm. going to go, "Come back, John Watts, and direct Avengers: Secret Wars." I think that's what's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. All right. All Fingers right. crossed. Okay. And if it's not him, yeah, it'll be someone else. 
steady on. You can make this kind of big, big statement, Chris. Afraid I can. Uh, has there been? Yes. I know that the writer's strike and the actor's strike are still going on. And there has been talk today that the WGA are actually in talks with Ampetupetupe. Um, and hopefully that will go better than previous talks have gone with the Ampetupetupe. So maybe, maybe there might be a resolution in sight. Maybe. I, I look, it's, uh, fingers crossed, it, it's hopeful. Um, I think the... You know, the public public opinion is still very much on the side of the strikers and, and only getting more so. We saw Margot Robbie hit the lines recently. I feel like more A-listers are coming out to support the actor's strike. Um, uh, the entire, basically, team behind Supernatural, you know, were out recently. Yeah, so that's Nips serious. out, were they, on the picket line? Obviously, yeah. everybody, yes. Um, Jefferson, Drew, they were all there. All of them. <laughs> Drew. Yeah. And Jefferson. Jefferson and Drew. Yeah. Okay. Were they there? Sure. Probably, okay. yeah. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Anyway, um, yeah, there's not a lot of other news. Uh, there was a new trailer for Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which has a little bit more of the kind of peril involved um, and some of the adult cast acting to the rafters, um, which is not necessarily a criticism in this case, but also kind of... So this is, a, this is a prequel, right? This, this is, is a um, prequel. This yes. is set 64 years, apparently, before the Hunger Games we know and um, in, to at least some degree love. And um, This is before Jon Snow becomes the president. Coriolanus Snow, but yes. I beg your pardon? <laughs> you know, the Roman play that Tom Hiddleston starred in? <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, so he is he is Tom Blythe in this incarnation. There is another girl uh, taken from District 12, which is, of course, where Katniss came from. This is Lucy Greybeard, played by Rachel Zegler. And, um, and he's basically her mentor, and he's meant to get her through the games. And at this point, hasn't, I guess, decided to be super-duper evil yet. <laughs> so um, is kind of going back and forth, and should I be super evil, or should I be kind of nice? <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's one of those. Um, but this it, this looks kind of cool. This is very, very visually interesting. So, you know, fingers crossed. It's got a good cast. It's Jason Schwartzman and Peter Dinklage and Viola Davis and all the rest. So, Good know. people. Good, good people. people. Good people. All good people. I have to say, my excitement levels are not at fever pitch. Well, I mean, can one. they be for a freaking... Can they be for a freaking prequel that we know where the... You know what's happening here. Like, there's no real mystery. And is he going to be a good guy or a bad guy? We know the answer to that. He's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> so I don't know that it's particularly. Why tell a prequel? I don't. I don't. Because there's a prequel book. There's a prequel. Is there book? a prequel yeah, book? Yeah. Yes, and this is what this is based on. And was this written by Suzanne? It was. Yeah, it yes. was by Suzanne Collins again. after so, the first three. Yes, yes. which and was split it, into four films. Yes. And this is directed by Francis Lawrence, who obviously directed all but one of the previous lot, wasn't it? I believe so, yes. Uh, he. Oh, can you name who directed the other one? Yes. <laughs> no, I can't remember. The first one, I believe. Yeah, it was the first one. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I can. Give us a clue. He's got a short name, like Gary. Is he a Gary? <laughs> yes. It's a Gary, isn't it? I it is Gary. I his second name. I'll give you another clue. He's got... His first name and his last name are both first names. Gary Bob, Gary. Jefferson Drew. Jeff he, he directed Ocean's 8. He directed, in lieu of movie news, we're just going to do a quiz. <laughs> he directed Ocean's 8. He directed Pleasantville. 
Is it? Oh. Are you fucking Googling it? I'm, no, I'm on IMDb. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just because it's annoying me at this point. Oh, yes. yes. Now I remember. I also instantly read. remembered it after after surreptitiously <laughs> looking, looking at it. After, after reading his name, I remembered it. I suddenly found myself au fait with the films of Gary Ross. <laughs> for it is he. For it is he. Yes, for yes. it is he, yes. And then he... Uh, I love Pleasantville. Okay, <laughs> non-sequitur boy. <laughs> it's like our very own Brick Townland. <laughs> I love Pleasantville. <laughs> Is there anything else around the room here, James? Well, do you like? It, I love it, microphone. It has a very good cover of Across the Universe by Fiona Apple. So <laughs> it does. He it also does. wrote Dave. He did write Dave. I mean, fair play. Yeah. Dave's a good movie. It is a good movie. Dave's a great movie. Yeah, and yeah. a channel. Yeah, not such a good channel, yeah. but it's a good movie. I could take or leave the channel, but the movie, <laughs> the movie's an all-timer. An absolute all-timer. There's got to be some other new movie news, I beg of you. There, there is, I mean, little things there. And Netflix is planning, um, obviously they've got this Roald Dahl deal. They have all the Roald Dahl a rights. Roald, a Roald Dahl deal. They've got a rolling, rolling Dahl. Nobody gives Schwarzenegger a Roald Dahl. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a ro- rolling deal for Oompa the Oompa Loompa! Oompa <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. They've got a rolling deal for all the Royal Dolls. And uh, they uh, obviously have the wonderful story of Henry Sugar coming this month from Wes Anderson. And yes. now Phil Johnston, a.k.a. Wreck-It Ralph man, um, he isn't, but <laughs> let's, for these purposes, <laughs> is making The Twits. This is a loose adaptation of The Twits, which is not, I'll be honest, my favourite Royal Dolls story. No. So in this one, they are still smelly, gross, disgusting, nasty, horrible people. But now they own a smelly, nasty, disgusting, horrible theme park as well. And and it's called Twitlandia. And then wow. two little orphans and a family of, I'm reading here, magic animals right. have to become as tricky as the twits are to save no. their city from the twits. Um, Full disclosure. Yeah. I've only read two Roald Dahl books. Have you? No, yeah. I mean... They're not bad. Like they're 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 mostly good, but I I really don't like the twits because it is quite viscerally gross, and I'm not super right. into that as a thing. Um, you know, it's all talking about like bits of food being stuck in his beard and like just Ugh. just horrible, like nasty, unwashed horribleness. Nasty. So I don't know that I'm super excited about this one. If I'm okay. honest, no, but seems, it looks fair. It, 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 there, we have a we have a bit of a sort of you know first image there on the site and you know maybe it'll be maybe it'll be fun maybe it will be fun um yes indeed that could be quite exciting i was in paris this weekend which was nice um and i i did get fascinated by something so i went around the louvre and i took pictures of works by uh, ninja turtles or at least namesake. I saw that. That was yes. funny. Right? Yeah. Okay. And I, and I had a great time doing this. And it really genuinely did get me thinking about which museums have works by all the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> because that's how highbrow but I am. isn't one of them an outlier? Donatello. Yeah. Who's not yeah. part of the same era. He's not, he's not the same era. He's not at the same level of like desirability, I guess. So Donatello is quite difficult. And then also like there just aren't that many Leonardo's around certainly painting wise because he did so much other stuff as well he's like oh let me just go invent a submarine um, not kidding literally um, at this rate when I put a timestamp on this week's episode <laughs> for people to skip I might just put the entire episode <laughs> and then people can just go they can start at zero and then just very very quickly skip to the end that's, that's fair skip um, to the end can I make a confession yes 
I can't tell any of the Ninja Turtles apart. I have no idea which one is which. I have watched many Ninja Turtles <laughs> television yeah. show, films. That's quite a claim. I've read, yes, I've read comic books. Have you seen the you, new one? Yes. If you, you put a gun to my head, I could not tell you which one is which. You'd have been fucked in the 80s because it wasn't until then that they introduced the coloured masks to differentiate them. Like back then when the Eastman and Laird comics first came out, it was just the weapons that told them apart. They all just wore red. So talk oh, me through oh, it. Man. Talk me okay, through so it. So you've got Donatello, Donatello purple. purple, Bow Staff, Bow Staff, Raphael, red, twin size, Leonardo, blue, blue. twin katanas, mm -hmm. and Michelangelo, orange, orange. nunchucks. Right, nunchucks. but are they meant to have different personalities as well? Because they I've do. never been able Donatello's to discern like, that either. Donatello is smart. Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo <laughs> is a party dude. <laughs> I don't remember what they said about Leo. Le but I think that's, that's why I like the most recent Ninja Turtles film because I did feel they were more distinct. Also mm. physically more distinct mm -hmm. which was, it was unusual for Ninja Turtles. Yeah, don't tell her the glasses. Yeah, right? So and I think that's the thing. You do need them to feel distinct because otherwise mm. it can be a bit homogenous. I, I genuinely, you, I could not pick them out of a lineup. I mean, they uh, look like which, turtles, Chris. They're, yeah. they're quite easy I know, to but identify. That, that would also imply that they would have committed a crime against me that therefore <laughs> would have necessitated a lineup. Sure. Uh, which, yeah. which giant ninja turtles. Give me turtles the keys, you fucking cocksucker, dude. <laughs> <laughs> or you get them to sing some Backstreet Boys to you. Yes, It'd be fantastic. I love that. Maybe the greatest cold open in the history of uh, television. Yes, that's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference. If yes. anybody wants to look up Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Backstreet Boys, you're in for a good time. Everybody. Yes, yes um, But indeed. But no, uh, yeah, so I, I went around the, the Louvre <laughs> Looking for works by Ninja Turtles. We're still and, in the movie news section. I know, I know. And just, and just did get a bit obsessed with trying to figure out which other museums in the world have them all. And I'm not the only person to have asked this. And I found a thread online where people were talking about it. So I, I, I am pretty sure the Uffizi must have them all in Florence. I'm pretty say, certain exactly that the Vatican Museum must have all of them. Although I don't know for sure it has Donatello's. Oh, the Pope's a massive turtles fan. I think he is right. Mm. Um, but like the V and A apparently has works by all of them in its collection, but they're not all like on display. They've got like delicate drawings and shit by like Michelangelo or, or Leonardo that aren't out. Never let someone draw on your delicates. That's that's a good guide for life there. Yeah. But anyway, I I I look this is the way I consume art. I don't know what to tell you. I had a lovely time. I saw some nice Goyas uh, really David S. Goyas. Sure. Foundation. Um, everything comes back to foundation. Oh, Blade. So Some motherfuckers are always <laughs> trying to ice get uphill. <laughs> At a nice time. Anyway, Paris, it's great. There you go. All right. Oh, Nicolas yeah. Cage. Nicolas Cage, his new film, Dream Scenario. Yes. Uh, that looks good. There's a trailer for that. It's an A24 movie. And I, I watched the trailer. It looked good. I think it gave away a lot of shit. Uh, but it also seems to be about a man who is pretty unassuming, pretty mild mannered, pretty. Eh. And then one day people start dreaming about him and then he becomes like a massive celebrity as a result of it and everything goes a bit insane and a bit A24-y. Cool. So it looks good. Yeah. Looks good for that. Um, just trying to see if there's anything else on here. Um, no. Okay. Please resolve the strike. <laughs> <laughs> I beg you. I beg you. I only have so many Gary Ross related questions. <laughs> I can't pull them out of my pocket all the time. Oh my God. Please, my plants, they're dying. Please give Please. me some moving news. Please, my colleagues are such lethal cunning. They are very sick. 
Uh, all right, should we have uh, our final guest this week? Oh, yes, please. All right, so No One Will Save You is coming to Disney Plus today, Friday, September 22nd. It is the latest film from Brian Duffield, who is a very, very good writer and director whose previous film as director was Spontaneous, which is, I think, on Sky still. And that was one of the high school romance in which people start spontaneously exploding. <laughs> um, and he also wrote the likes of Love of Monsters and Underwater, Lee Kristen Stewart. A movie which is getting a bit of a critical reappraisal. Is it? Over I the quite last enjoyed few, it. Last few, the, the, uh, my main enduring memory of that film was I watched it sitting next to Helen and was distracted all the way through by her trying to cheat her pedometer. <laughs> Oh by God. making masturbatory gestures with her that wrist not... to make it think she had done more steps than she actually had done. <laughs> Look, it's not my fault that... The... In that case, I walk a marathon every day. <laughs> it's not my fault that the steps I do between 7 and 8 a.m. and 6 and 7 p.m. don't count. And I shouldn't be penalised, as it were, Study. by my pedometer for not having been able to step while in a film. So, so... so just, it's because you're not wearing the watch when you are doing those bits. No, I am obviously wearing the so watch. So why doesn't it count them? It, like, it's 10 hours a day from 8am to 6pm that I have to do 250 why? steps an hour. Just because I'm a bit obsessed with it. I don't know. Yeah, but why is this this arbitrary time window? I'm exactly. fascinated. Exactly. It makes should no just sense. be 10 hours like total, but that's the way it is. And so, um, so I don't think it's fair that I should be penalised for doing my job and sitting in a movie, that's all. So, but you're only cheating yourself, Helen? I know. And so there's no victim <laughs> here, so why are you making a big deal? Anyway... <laughs> anyway, shut up, you two. Brian Duffield. Uh, so now he is back with No One Will Save You, which is an alien invasion movie slash home invasion movie, but with a twist. Caitlin Deaver plays a young lady called Bryn, whose home gets invaded by, well, quite frankly, it's in the first six minutes, an alien. Mm. Uh, and things get progressively weirder and more dangerous and fucked up from that point on. And I spoke to Brian Duffield earlier on this week on Zoom. And we had a good old natter about this and a great many things, including his appearance on another podcast. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the writer and director of No One Will Save You, Mr. Brian Duffield. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, that title is, uh, it's fun to say. It's fun to say. Was that, when did it flash into your mind? The title came pretty late. I think when I started sending the script around to like my reps and everything it didn't have a title i think it just said written by brian duffield and I'm, I'm trying to remember if the title was there when caitlin signed on or not but i i i knew i wanted a title that felt like it could be all of the dialogue in in the movie in a way where it feels like every character human or non-human could be saying that and it have different connotations and meanings or and caitlin could be saying it to herself mm -hmm. um and I, I like the idea of it being like a very 50s title. Like for a while, I was like, I really want to have an exclamation mark at the end. But it also felt like that wasn't quite the tone of the movie. <laughs> um, so without the exclamation mark, it feels like a little bit more threatening and menace than like this is a, a jaunt. Um, uh, but yeah, I felt like wanting to have a title that was kind of in conversation with the movie that you were watching and, and it could evolve and, and change in different ways so i kind of kept trying to come up with <laughs> threatening titles um and i think I, and I once i got no one will save you i was like that feels that feels good and then we would call it nowsy which felt like a fun thing to say i mean it would have been fascinating to see whether uh you know <laughs> you could ever get away with 
just releasing the film and calling it Untitled Brian Duffield Sci-Fi Thriller. I think well, that's what I remember because I'm a big Cameron Crowe kid. Um, and that's what Almost Famous was for a, a while was yeah. Untitled. Because he liked the idea of it being like the Untitled mixtape vibe. Um, and then Vanilla Sky was one of the titles that was almost almost famous. Um, and so I think I knew all that. And I was like, I never was like, I should just release it as Untitled. Um, but I did like the, uh, I don't know. I like the romantic, like if Cameron Crowe thought it was a romantic idea, then it was a romantic idea. Um, <laughs> and then I think for a while I was like, I should just be a real cheeky shit and just put the gray emoji on the title page. But again, I was like, that tone is, that is completely not the, the right tone of the movie. But I thought, oh, this might be fun. At least if I did this to my reps. Um, but I, I've put jokey title pages on things and then it will get out there. Um, and then I'm like, I have to like walk it back where I'm like, no, that's bullshit. And that's always a nightmare to like try to get IMDb to believe you that it's not an adaptation because you joked about it being an adaptation of a book that never existed. Um, <laughs> I just want to stress out. I happened to me once and I just want to stress out my reps to make them think that I adapted a book I didn't have the rights to. So I made up a really dumb French book. And then for a while, some the script leaked and people were like, oh, it's a dat based on this non-existent book. And I was like, it's not. It was just a really stupid joke. <laughs> uh, Scott Wampler, who obviously uh, co-hosts the the King cast. Uh, yep. I, I think you've recorded an episode with them recently. I don't think it's out yet. Yes, I did. Okay. Can you spoil what your episode's about? Yeah, it was the Tommyknockers miniseries, which was uh, Scott's idea. Oh, which I'd never seen before. And uh, it, it's not my favorite King adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> That's the book he can't remember writing, isn't it? If I'm right in thinking. Yeah, which coincidentally, Scott knew that it was the first Stephen King book I had read. And I was just like, I don't get what the fuss over this guy is. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like seven or something. Um, uh, and Scott was like, we got to do the Tommy Knockers miniseries. And I was like, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, Wampler today was was tweeting very very nice things about your your movie. Yeah. And, but he was he was you know saying that it's it's reminiscent of the movie that ET could have been yeah. in a way, which is a uh, Night Skies, a Paul Schrader script that I've yeah. never read, but apparently is knocking around there somewhere. Uh, was that was that an inspiration in any way? Was it Tommy Knockers an inspiration for this? Tommy Knockers was not. Um, <laughs> that was, although I, I feel like that's, I think it's obviously not a one-to-one, but like, I feel like Signs is very, to me, Signs is very specifically Night Skies because it's it's on a farm and with a family. Um, and like that one feels very one-to-one to me. Like I know there's different elements too, and it's not an adaptation by any means, but like, I was like, Signs is the adaptation of of Night Skies that we never got. And then I think with this, though, like, I, I don't know. There, there's always been that. I, as a kid, Spielberg had never done bad aliens. And there was something very appealing about the idea of him doing bad aliens. And then he, eventually he did War of the Worlds, um, which I, I, I love. Yeah. Um, but I think that is always just in your head, too, when you're a nerdy kid in the 90s being like, you know, he he always talked about he could have done a bad alien move, but then never could get around to it kind of thing. Um, so I'm sure there's part of that in there where uh, I like the idea of that scene from 
the Barry abduction from Close Encounters, but like a feature length and if the aliens were assholes. <laughs> so, so tell me then how it all sort of sort of coalesced for you, how you uh, you decided to make this the, the next movie for you as a director. Well, I think people decide what the next thing is you're going to direct more than you get to decide. <laughs> oh, really? Um, I think so. I, yeah, because like you're all, I'm always working on a couple different things and I'm all you're always hoping like, you know, the thing, you know, you know, like if, if I had my way, this would have been my fourth or fifth movie and I would have done, you know, movies starting in like 2014. And, you know, it's just the things, you know, start and stop. And then this one, even this one, you know, we I wrote it in 2019 and then started, you know, trying to assemble it in a very real way at the very start of 2020. And then COVID happened and it just kind of was just like, you know, a complete meltdown. Oh, so this is a pre-pandemic movie then? Yeah. And then I think that was one of the reasons it kind of rose to mind for some of the, the studios that were interested in it, where it was like Girl in a House, um, which was, you know, all the all the rage back in the, the COVID days of like, well, this is shootable. Um, <laughs> you know, but it was, yeah, it was it was definitely pre pandemic and it stemmed from two ideas one of the character that caitlin deaver plays bryn you know knowing everything that happens in the movie about that character and her backstory and being like that's a really interesting character for a a movie but i don't know what movie it should be and then having this idea of this alien invasion that you know presuming like they're smart enough to get all the way to earth you know hiding outside of a house isn't really something that would concern them like why not just walk in and take what's theirs um and being like that's a really challenging place to start a movie is you know where you know we joke kind of where signs ends in terms of the alien finally just walking into the living room like let's start there mm. and then like what how does that movie go um because i lo- like even like movies like the mcpherson tapes where they like walk in the house at the end i love that but I was also like, they could have just done that at the start and gotten this shit over with so fast. Um, so liking the idea of like having them walk in at the start and then our character has to deal with, you know, this this awful situation. And then at some point, the two ideas kind of got married in my head of like the, the Bryn character in this alien invasion movie where it just felt like I'd never seen someone as ill-equipped as Bryn to deal with this problem. Um, and then having the aliens, you know, be able to be curious about her and kind of walk the audience through things and show the audience things about her that we probably wouldn't get to see. Otherwise it just felt like, Oh, there's a weird freaky symbiosis in these two ideas that I'll I'll probably still be trying to figure out why for years, but (laughs) I made it. (laughs) Well, it's fascinating. Again, I don't want to go too much into, into spoilers, but, uh, but Bryn is a very unusual character to to lead a movie yeah. like this as you say and I, I'm fascinated by one of the choices that you make again without going too much into it but she doesn't speak a lot in the movie yeah. I think it's I think it's fair to say that uh, she's not John McClane she's not wisecracking and talking to herself all the way through the situation she she does speak she has you know she there, there are mm-hmm. verbal you know sounds do emerge from her from her but uh, she's not she's not wielding one-liners uh, in this and I wondered how we much did of that. Two full days of ADR with Caitlin, really, <laughs> so... just like um and yeah, ooh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Uh, how much of that was something that emerged organically as you began to write the screenplay, or you know, almost as a as a a challenge for yourself? 
Yeah, it was organic for about the first half and then a challenge in that, you know, she's alone for so much of the movie um, and has to be quiet for a good chunk of that first half that it felt like I didn't even notice really. Because I, I think I always, the intention was always that she was very isolated, but she wasn't crazy. Like she wasn't, you know, Will Smith and I am legend, like talking to mannequins and and quoting shrek like she's completely sane she's just very lonely and and isolated and and writing her letters and um and 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 then and then she has to be very quiet and stealthy um and then knowing what kind of happens in the middle of the movie was what was going to to happen it was after the scene in the police station where i was like she hasn't talked uh yet and you know, she's about to have to head back home, basically. So it's, there's no real reason for her to monologue or talk or anything like that. But also using it as a as a character thing, where it's like not only is does she have no like the thing that she's lost in her life is is the ability to have relationships um, and to talk with somebody. Um, but at the same time, no one is willing to share information with her. Like there's no TV that's telling her. You know, over London today, there were all these mysterious lights and and all that kind of stuff. Like it was really wanting to deprive her of exposition, um, both that she could give and that could receive. And then once you take that away, like there's not that much to she has to talk about <laughs> with with other people. Um, so it felt like a really just great way to like show her character and show how her character was feeling. Um, in a very quick amount of time, because you know it's it's six minutes or so before aliens show up. So I was like, oh, if we take away these relationships and we take away the dialogue, but you really get a sense that this is a lonely girl. She's mm-hmm. happy, but is is isolated and doesn't have anyone in her life. And then you're kind of off to the races. So it was it was funny, like shooting it, we didn't really think about it either. Like it was, it didn't feel that different than shooting a talkie, um, <laughs> but. But in hindsight, and like in post, it was like, oh, this is, it does feel weird. It's different. Um, And then working a lot on getting it to feel like it was an exciting component of it. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting, like watching the assembly where you're like, oh yeah, when it's like two hours and 10 minutes, you, you feel it. (laughs) Yeah. And that was like the assembly, which was like every, all the, all the shit. Like it was never, I think the cut was always probably in the like hundred minute range, and then we got it down. Yeah, and you also have, uh, as you say, aliens show up about six minutes into the film, and <laughs> yeah. you, you don't fuck around uh, once they once they appear. Um, yeah, again, that was always your intention to kind of flip the script a little bit, as, as you always, as you do. Yeah, to kind of do the, like the anti Jaws, because um, I, I like the idea of, and again, not getting into spoilers, but like getting to like the thirty minute mark and having audiences and and Bryn go, I have no idea what happens now. Um, like that just felt like such a exciting and unique place to have the second act of the movie begin. Um, that that was always kind of the intention where it's like, you can kind of show too much in that first act, but then if you resolve your first act, like we res- resolve it, it does kind of go like, well, I thought I was, getting this one movie and now I feel like I'm, I have no idea what movie I'm, I'm sitting in and what could happen. And that felt like a very good, you know, you kind of pull the rug out from the audience a little bit by showing so much alien in the opening. Cause it is very unusual. 
um, that you get you get as much as you get in this. And then and then in the second act, you pull it out again, and you kind of get everyone to be like, "What movie is is this?" Because usually, what I just watched is the end of a movie, um, and now there's an hour to go. <laughs> so it being very fun to just kind of play with that play with that structure because I feel like typically science fiction movies kind of and usually because of a budgetary reason like they end with your big alien encounter um and you get like confirmation that oh the 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 weird happenstance was because of aliens after all like we know for sure now um and I felt like let's do that at the start like let's not fuck around and then and then what story is there to tell after that and that felt like the the challenge and the and the fun of the movie the the aliens the choice of aliens and how they they look in this movie is is fascinating the um they they bear an uncanny resemblance to those aliens that uh, were on display in mexico just a couple of days ago uh so i'm wondering was that was that a stealth ad campaign for for this movie i know i thought those aliens in in mexico looked like shit so hopefully i was like better <laughs> I was you, like- you have to admit they're a thousand years old you'd look like a shit if you were a thousand years old they were like a thousand years old but like the guy was like picking them up by the waist and like moving them around and i was just like if these are real dude this is the most valuable thing that exists on the planet and they're just like <laughs> moving this paper mache shit around i was i was like this is it did feel like like bad marketing for our movie but in a way that was very exciting because my actors can't promote the movie because of the sag strike so i was like well at least the governments of <laughs> the United States and Mexico are chipping in. Um, but no, it was, I, I love the gray design. I, I've always loved it. And I've really missed it in the last like decade plus and just wanted to have it back. And it was a great immediate touchstone where like an audience could see like a glimpse of it and be like, okay, it's an alien. It's not like anything else. Like I know it exactly. It's an alien. And then kind of same thing with what we're talking about the structure of the movie, you get to pull the rug out from underneath people. You get to add bonus features, add different alien allies, um, kind of thrown. So it was, it kind of was fun to kind of get everyone on the same page immediately with this classic design and then, and then futz with it and, and mess it up and, and add new things to it. So the movie didn't become stagnant. Well, Brian, we're out of time. Uh, hopefully, you can come back and have a, a, a and chew the fat a little bit more and get into some of the, the nitty gritty of the movie. But it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks very cool. much, Dave. Any, thanks yeah, for your time. Any time for the spoiler chat? Excellent. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to your Kingcast episode as well. Oh yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that, that miniseries is is a hoot, uh, and I I never seen it, and uh, I I felt like I watched it for days. Jimmy Smith's finest hour, bar none. Jimmy's yeah, Jimmy's Jimmy's great. Yeah, it's a whole it's it's an interesting yeah. It, I I was nostalgic for those miniseries King adaptations of the early nineties. It was it was kind of fun to see it. Yeah, not not all of them hold up. Uh, I would say, but no. listen, we're, we're we're in danger of becoming a, a, a spin off of the King cast. So <laughs> I'm glad you go, Brian Duffield. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so that was Brian Duffield, director of No One Will Save You, which is on Disney Plus as of today. But we, only I have seen it, so we're going to wait until next week to review that on the show properly. It's on Disney Plus today. And in terms of things that we've also um, missed, quite frankly, and this is entirely my fault, the new film RMN by the brilliant Romanian director Christian Munju is also out today, Friday, September 22nd, in cinemas across the country. 
full disclosure, I thought it was next week. So therefore, I didn't set up any screenings <laughs> or get a screen links or anything like that there. So uh, we will uh, watch it this week and we will report back to you next week. But I believe the scuttlebutt is a <laughs> shocker. It's very good from the director what? of Four Months, Three Weeks, Two Days. Uh, he's a very, very good director indeed. So looking forward to that. But films that we have seen, and by we, I very strongly mean James and Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, I've uh, I've dropped the ball this week. Um, but uh, include the Expend Four Bells. Mm. Uh, include Flora and Son, the new film from John Carney. And Dumb Money, the new film from Craig Gillespie, which I will be seeing tonight at a screening we're hosting with Craig Gillespie. And Bally Walter, four films, no waiting. Who wants to go first? Fight. Should we do Dumb Money first? Let's, Let's start do with Dumb Money high. because we've both seen it. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> this is the story. You may remember if you are online. This is a story all about how. This is a story all about how a dude bought lots of GameStop. Sh- sh- game stop. Stock. How hard is that to say? So Every hard. time I've talked about this, I've said GameStop, stop, stop, stop. Game, 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 game Here, stop, stop. This is a story short all GameStop about stock, high. Honestly, uh, yeah. yeah, a guy bought stock in GameStop. Stop. And until they made down, him stop. Yes, well, kind of. Yes. Buying the stock. Uh, kind of. Yes. So basically, a bunch of hedge funds had bet against GameStop, which is a sort of you know like mall based. It's like game. It's like game it's a, it's here the American in the UK. Game. Yeah, it's the yeah. American game. It's the it's the mall-based local shop that you go to to buy your video games, uh, yes. etc. And they had shorted the company because they're like, lol, you know, physical buying is dying. This company is going to go down the tubes. Yeah. And basically, a, a minor YouTuber investor, um, played here by Paul Dano, who goes by the online name of Fierce Kitty, a uh, Roaring Kitty, um, his real name is Keith Gill, um, basically says, you know what, I think it's a good stock. I've bought a bunch of it here. You can see my balance sheet. I've basically put half of my entire value into GameStop. I think it's a good stock. And uh, and a bunch of people follow his lead. And over time, this gets picked up. It sort of becomes a meme on Reddit. Um, that Egypt Musk starts tweeting about it, and then good it becomes God. a massive sensation. And basically, all these people join in buying this stock in this company, send the stock value through the roof, making on paper millionaires of lots of the early investors, um, and and sort of send the hedge funds into a spiral because they have bet against this company. So they basically are in a position where they may have to shell out billions in order to cover their losses. So it's kind of a kind of an underdog story. But what I like about what what Craig Gillespie has done with this is I think he has he has left in the complications. He has he has left in the fact that some, at least, of these uh, of these hedge fund guys, you know, have families and might be good fathers and might be, you know, on some level, decent human beings. Mm. One of them gets called a prick by literally everybody, every person in the cast, I think. But um, but the others, you know, maybe they have some small redeeming features as well as being awful people who are driving this. This entire system of being into the ground. Um, he does introduce a little bit of, of tension because he shows us all of these ordinary people who are investing their money in this stock. And you're you're so aware that they can't afford to lose. Like America Ferrara mm. is, a, is a nurse. Anthony Ramos is a guy who actually works at a GameStop store. And you're like... I. I don't want them to lose all their money and I feel like they might be about to lose all their money and it's really stressing me out. So... There's there's kind of there's a lot to like here. I had a 
I had a better time with some story threads than others. And there were times where I was like, oh, this guy again. Let's get back to the main stuff. Is that Pete Davidson by any chance? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good not, cast, right? It's, good. it's, it's not a great very cast. good cast. It's a great, great yeah. cast. I mean, this, like I say, we've, we've, I've talked about or mentioned Seth Rogen. We've got Nick Offerman. We've got Vincent D'Onofrio. They're all on the sort of hedge fund yeah. side of things. Lawrence Olivier, Omar Sharif. <laughs> <laughs> America Ferreras in it. Uh, Clancy Brown's in it. It's, yeah, it. It does have great people in it. Yeah. Shailene uh, Woodley as well. Yeah, Shailene Woodley as, as, as Roaring Kitty. Mrs. 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 Roaring Mrs. Kitty. Mrs. Kitty. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, it's the big short with memes, isn't it, really? Essentially, uh, yeah. But it's fascinating because I think we're all peripherally aware that this thing happened during the pandemic. But I've never met anyone who properly understood or really knows the details of it. So this does, for that GameStop stock incident, <laughs> what The Big Short did for the financial crisis without the bubble bath. But it I just am... sits... It doesn't, you know, but genuinely, like, it explains it to you, it makes it very palatable, but also they really milk it for the drama. Like, mm. you get really into it. It's like, will he sell? Will he hold? Like, everyone's looking to see whether he'll hold or whether he'll sell. And you get really swept up in it. Is he going to hold? Is he going to hold? Is he going to sell? And if he sells, what does it mean for everyone else? And there is a sense all the way through this, which I really liked. There's a, a healthy contempt, I think, for capitalism as an entity. Yeah, late-stage capitalism yes. of the sort. That, yeah. And in the way that when you're introduced to a character, you introduce them by name and it on screen comes up with a title card saying what their net worth is. And it ranges from something like oh, minus $150,000 to plus $16 billion. So it shows you the sort of capitalist discrepancy between these characters and it makes you realise what they have to lose. And it also shows you, by the way, this is a pandemic-era story. This obviously yeah. took place in late 2020 and early 2021. Yeah, I remember, yeah. yeah. And so you, th there's some really nice little visual devices, which I'm, I'm sure must be deliberate as well as obviously being based in reality, which is that the normal people, the people, the nurse and the, the GameStop employee keep being reminded about their mask. They have to keep their masks on all the time. They're, you know, washing their hands all the time. The rich men are surrounded by people wearing masks, but they themselves, I think I'm right in saying, yeah, never ever don masks. don a mask. You know, and it's little things like that that really kind of bring out some of the social inequalities here, yeah. which I, I very much enjoy. That's fascinating though, that this has been almost reacted to in real time. Yeah. Like you have you know, one of these movies, and yeah. this movie coming out in response to something that is, you know, still warm. The corpse of the story is still warm. <laughs> and it's all just, and they, you know, they really get into, I love the fact that they lean into the fact that it all comes from Reddit. And these are people who communicate primarily in memes. And so you get a lot of that on the screen. And it's really funny. Uh, mm. And it feels very, very real. Dane DeHaan also has a role in this. And it's right. maybe the most Dane DeHaan role it is, I've ever seen. It is quite creepy. Also, uh, Sebastian Stan makes his third <laughs> sleazebag appearance yeah. in a Craig Gillespie f a film or project after Pam and Tommy, Tommy and I, Tonya. So, uh, so also quite fun there. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I say, like some threads I enjoyed less than others, some scenes I enjoyed less than others, but overall I thought this was brilliantly yeah, done. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You, you, you should have a good time tonight, Chris. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Yeah, four stars from us. Four stars from us for the q and I'm doing with Craig Gillespie. <laughs> Um. <laughs> Immediately afterwards. Uh, honestly, I love The Big Short. I've read The Big Short. I've seen The Big Short upwards of a dozen times, I would say. I watched it again just about two weeks ago. I was in the mood for something. I was like, oh, you know what? I want to watch The Big Short. I still don't understand any of it. <laughs> I, did, I did economics at A level, you, for the love of Christ. You are a subprime twat. I, I don't, see, that, it's I, basically, that could be a compliment. I don't understand. It's essentially fraud. Don't worry about it. I, I, yeah, I, I, got, I got that bit. Okay. 
four stars in for dumb money. Uh, next up, I'm going to hold the expend four bells until until the very very end. Uh, what are you saying, Flora and Son? Flora and Son. So we're both in the vicinity of Ireland here. Helen has seen Bally Walter, yes. mm-hmm. uh, and you have seen Flora and Son. That's uh, let's go with Helen, and then you, and then Helen to finish off, and I'll have a little nap. All right, so this is Bally Walter. This is a very small-scale Northern Irish project, uh, but it's about a recognisable Northern Ireland. Like, it looks like home. There's no dragons, for a start, which most Northern Irish projects seem to have. But also, there's no, you know, terrorists running around all the time and blowing things up. So, uh, this is actually... Northern Ireland you grew up in, but that was very much my reality. (laughs) Um, This is directed by... Prasanna uh, Puwanaraja, who, full disclosure, is a friend of a friend of mine. So I did sit next to him once at a wedding. <gasps> all right. Whoa. Compromise. Helen's I mean, in the pocket of big Prasanna Puwanaraja. We all knew it was going to happen. We did. Eventually. It was inevitable. You can't wow. believe a word she says of this review. To be fair, the couple involved just celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary. Lies. Like, it's been a while. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway. Wow. Um, but right, so this is the story of Eileen, who's played by Shauna Kerslake, and she is a sort of, she's a, she's a university dropout. She's down on her luck. She's working as a sort of Uber driver, uh, taxi driver type, um, and is wildly irresponsible, not sort of in charge of her own life, kind of j- just at a loss, really. And she she gets a sort of regular gig picking up this guy, Shane, who's played by the comedian Patrick Keelty, um, every day from Ballywalter to bring him into Belfast to go to an improv class. He's doing an improv class for a week or two and he needs somebody to just drive him in because he can't drive. And obviously Northern Irish public transport is quite bad. Um, <laughs> it doesn't exist really, does it? <laughs> not really. So these two strike up this very kind of tentative... Friendship is too strong a word for most of the film. They are basically... This is maybe the only other person that they're having a substantial conversation with each day. It's not really a friendship. It's just is circumstance it, dictates that this is probably the only person they've talked to Is this car share the movie? Today. It kind of almost is. Like, it's a very you know, meandering sort of character-led piece. This is not a film that is plot-driven or very sort of, you know, things happen then another thing happens. It's just sort of a character piece. Like about The these Expendables two. 4. Well, uh, it's it's the exact opposite, if I'm honest, of The Expendables 4. It is it is far away from The Expendables 4 as it, on, on every level as it's possible <laughs> to be. But basically it's about these two lost souls finding some kind of weird little tiny connection which enables them to maybe maybe move on a little bit and get wow. past something that's been blocking them in their lives. And I thought it was really lovely. You know, I don't know that it's going to change the world. I don't know that it's going to make a huge impact, but I would I would hope that people would go and give it a chance because I think it's a really nice film. I think it's beautifully played, especially Sean occurs like I hadn't really seen before and I think she's great in this. Patrick Kilty, I had written off uh, in the late 90s, but I think he does a very good job here. Um, especially there is a scene where you see him trying to do a bit of improv and being bad at it and I think for a professional stand-up comic I think it's actually quite a difficult job to be bad at being a professional stand-up comic do you know what I mean? So I, I don't I, know Well no, you know what I mean like look, looking sort of like you you haven't done this a million times before Have you seen um, Patrick Kildy's work? You are you are mean today you are mean Anyway so I, <clears throat> I enjoyed it I don't think we have an Empire review yet but I would sort of be high three, low four in this. I think it's a nice film. Oh, so so you would. Um, very good, very good. There and I. Well done, everybody You're a involved. Monster. Jimbo. Yes. Let's move south to Dublin. Dublin. 
Dublin. Oh God. Oh, He's Dublin down. I'm what, Dublin down. What's just happened? No. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a hate crime. It is. It is. I'm sorry. Yes, this is John Carney's latest, adding to his portfolio of musical films, obviously following on from Sing Street and Once and Begin Again. Uh, this is Flora and Son, and this is an Apple original, so it is streaming on Apple TV+. And this one stars Eve Hewson as Flora. She is a single mother who had her son, uh, who is Max, played by Oren Kinlan, and she had him when she was a teenager. She is not, shall we say, the best or most capable mother in the world, but then equally, he is not the easiest child to raise, since he's been thieving and stealing stuff since he was knee-high to a teaving. grasshopper. He's been He's been teaving. Uh, so she and he do not get along well. Jack Rayner plays her ex and the boy's father, who is a musician and feckless and, shall we say, disengaged at best. And one day, the day after her son's birthday, she finds a guitar essentially cast away in a skip and decides to fix it up and give it to him for his birthday present because she's caring that way. He tells her to go and fuck herself, quite literally. And so she decides to keep the guitar for herself and learn to play it. So she goes online. Oh, as you must one have does, loved this film. Indeed. And she decides to get online guitar lessons from Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> exactly the same as you. And learns to play the guitar. And that is the basic premise of this film. Now, I have notes. And my notes are these. First of all, in one of her early lessons, they start talking about the F chord. I'm sorry, the F chord is not something you should go anywhere near until you've been playing for a very long time, for it is a bar chord and extremely difficult, and I have still um, not mastered it. It's been several years. You don't have to play... I know you don't have to play this bar, but if you can do things, do it properly, that's what I say. Uh, <laughs> I'll also, do the fingering. <laughs> I will do the fingering. And speaking oh, of God. fingering, there's a light romance with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is her, uh, her, her guitar teacher. He is in LA, so it's kind of, it's over Zoom. Don't but fret. I will say, my relationship with Justin from justinguitar.com is nowhere near as intimate as hers with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character is more's the pity. Um, is he called Justin Gordon <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the film? <laughs> That's a good point. I hope he is. No, his name is just Jeff. Oh, Jeff. 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 Jeff the guitar. Jeff guitar, presumably. Like Justin guitar, but Jeff yeah. guitar. So Jeff guitar teaches her the guitar. Now you think you know where this film goes and I thought I knew where this film went and I thought this is going to be a cheesy romantic comedy where she falls in love with Jeff the guitar man and they have a bit of guitar love. But no, by all means, spoil the ending. No, but this is not what the film is. All right, okay. Like, and don't get me wrong, there is an element of what I've just described to it. It is, there is a meat cute to it, and there is a frisson, but it's not what this film is centrally concerned with. That's not what it's really about. Is it actually about Flora and Son? Yeah, so they hid it by putting it in the title. <laughs> so <laughs> it is, exactly as Helen says, it's about her and her son. It's not about her learning to find love on the internet or while playing the guitar. Or doing the fingering, in fact. It is about her learning to be a mother and connect with her son, who she said when she was about 17. And it's really, really lovely. And actually, the music is really well worked in. Eve Hewson, who has proven her comedy chops and things like Bad Sisters, is really, really fun in this. She's incredibly charismatic. She's very, very sweary. There are sea bombs flying left Ooh. and right. Um, does she sing? Does she sing? She does sing, and well. It's almost like she comes from some kind of musical family. It's almost like it runs in, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, no, she sings. The music in it is really uplifting, and great and, and particularly well done and like I say it's even bittersweet in places there's, there's, there's some really touching moments it resonates it feels honest and it feels authentic uh, which I was genuinely not expecting from this film which I didn't expect much from it but yeah I really enjoyed it I thought it was lovely and I found it quite unexpected Did you have to pay for it or was it pro bono? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, Apple for the teacher there. Yeah, no, it's funny, actually. I didn't Apple have TV to. Plus for the teacher, actually. I actually, I didn't even have to look for it. It just appeared on my iPhone. I couldn't get rid of it. That's 
<laughs> Will they ever be forgiven? Never. Apparently not. Never. Well. Never. Runs in the family, doesn't it? <laughs> Runs in the family. We have uh, explained that she's Bono's daughter. Yeah, right? Just in case, no, really. just in case she's yeah. Bono from Popular Music Act. Popular you Music Act. <laughs> <laughs> Who are they popular with exactly? You, I mean, the me? children, <laughs> the children of the world. Look, I love them, but nobody yes. else does these. That's days. not true. They're still probably the biggest band in the world. I would say. I would give this. High three, low four. I'd probably charitably, I'd give it somewhere between a three and a four, possibly a four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wobbling between a three and a four, but I, I did have a good You're time. Wobbling, all right. I don't know. <laughs> Raw wobbling. Yeah. yeah. Wobbling towards a change of career at this point. <laughs> Um, all right, three, maybe four stars then for Flora and Son, which is on, uh, which is out in cinemas this weekend, but is on Apple TV Plus next weekend. I so didn't it's, know not that. Gonna, it's not going to be, it's not going to be bonoed into your phone uh, just yet. So there you go. That's that's good information. I know. I know. <laughs> Didn't know that at all. Incredibly, I have some information every now and again. <laughs> do you Google um, it? <laughs> yes, I googled it. That's what I do. That's get all my information from Google <laughs> or from a flaming elk. Um, <laughs> last but not least. Well. <laughs> last last but very least. much least. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear what Helen has to say about the Expendables Four. Expend the four balls. Expend the four balls. Because. Everyone I know who's seen this film tells me it's an abomination. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Go for it. I I don't hate all the Expendables films. You know, I don't think Name they're, them. they're great. Expendables. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 never gonna be Expendables. Well, it's turned into a Taylor Swift thing again. Okay. Um, yeah, so this was, of course, the Jerry Action franchise started by... Sylvester Stallone to give uh, a job to every single man who had ever starred in an, in an action movie uh, or wanted to Oompa star in an action Oompa. movie. And, uh, and, and pretty much all of them have been there at some point. True. So he's obviously back as Barney Ross, but this is really a film so about... Gary's brother. <laughs> Lee Christmas, though. <laughs> uh, Lee Christmas, sometimes just addressed as Christmas. Does he come once a year? <laughs> well, he came once at least in this film. So, oh, does he um, have a child? Well, no, but there's a there's a there's a sex scene as well. Then would be And does it follow him to completion? It, it doesn't actually. I'm just so. Assuming. How do you know he came then? That's true. I don't. Did I'm he just put it in her stocking? <laughs> anyway, um, so Barney Ross and indeed Lee Christmas are called into action because a bad guy called Ramat, who's played by Eco Elias, it has gotten control of some nuclear detonators. Oh, That's a no. thing that exists. Give me my detonators. <laughs> yeah, and, and basically what you do is you get some uranium and then you put all of your nuclear detonators, just 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 <laughs> put them all over it like they're like they're, you know, cherries on a ham. Like That's how you make it work. on a muffin. Sorry, like cherries on a cherries, ham. Cherries, cherries. Oh, cherry. You know, cherry. like a like a like a nineteen like seventies cookbook, like a roast ham and it's covered Oh, like in cucumber on a salmon. You put yeah, cherries sure. on a ham. Is I mean, this a thing? I wouldn't, but people did in the seventies. I've never seen anyone Look. put a cherry on a ham. You know, you know when you get like a roast thing and it's got things stuck into it with little. Anyway, that's what it looks like. It's ridiculous. Thing. <laughs> this is a side point, guys. We're getting distracted. This is, sorry, are we still describing the sex scene? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, maybe. I'm um, gonna put a cucumber on your salmon. Steady. That just doesn't sound nice. 
Nothing sounds nice when it comes out of the States, Voice. No, hey. No, and I mean unfair. in a nice way. He's look, a lovely, lovely fella, but look, everything is perceived as a threat. Jeff Jellios. <laughs> look, the Stath is great. And the thing is, like, you give him a stupid action guy role and he will knock it out of the park. Nine times out of ten. He is good at his job, right? Many of these people are good at their job. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so we have Andy Garcia, for example, a guy who's good at his job, turning up to send them off on this mission to stop EcoWires from stealing the nuclear detonators. Gee, I hope he doesn't turn out to be a bad guy. (laughs) The nuclear weapons. (laughs) Oh, don't be silly. Um, And and, and they all go off and and things happen, and I'm not going to get into that. 50 Cent has joined the cast. He's easy day. Dolph Lundgren is back. And Sorry, a man who's been shot nine times is joining the Expendables. <laughs> it doesn't seem likely, does it? Dolph Lundgren is back. Randy Couture is back. Uh, Jacob Scipio is there playing an incredibly irritating character called Galan, who appears to be the, the son of a former Expendable. I don't remember which one. Antonio Banderas. Was he in it? I was yes. trying to remember. Then it's his son. Cool. Right. Good. Yes. Antonio Banderas was in one of the Expendables films? Yeah, but he was That's Expendables. That's my reaction. So he didn't come back. I couldn't remember it. Which anyway. one? Now, case, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. I hosted the press conference <laughs> for the Expendables 3. I have... N- Fuck! Antonio Banderas was in the Expendables 3! Because <laughs> he's on the picture of the press conference line. Well, there you go. He's in the Amon showed us, showed, showed me a picture. He was like, oh, look at this. This is you. And I was like, I have no memory of this. Was, it was, was Stallone, Statham, Banderas, uh, one of the Hemsworths. I remember I, this Wait, not. there was a Hemsworth? There was a Hemsworth. There was a Hemsworth. It was the, it was the other Liam. one. Liam. Yeah. Yeah. Big Liam. So, wait, was, um, was Megan Fox in three? Because everyone no. acted she's in like this she one. had been. No. Isn't she? I was really confused. Okay, good. Because everyone acted like she'd been around for ages mm. and everybody knew who Megan Fox's character, Gina, was. And I'm like, was she though? I don't have any memory. Was but she three? Or was she in two? No, she was. She's not in any of them. I don't because think she I was. went. I went to the premiere of two with Arnold. Okay, none of this is relevant, guys. I'm trying to review the film. You're all like, we don't have much time. I have to review the Expendables. <laughs> right. This is all directed by Scott Waugh. Um, they they have this. <laughs> Waugh. What is it good what for? Is it good for? <laughs> <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> They all go off to rescue the thing, the nuclear detonators from the, the, war, the ham. You've got to become a war. Um, this film has the most obnoxious storylines I have ever seen. The, the character arc for two characters is that they have tried to make their lives better and the film decides they shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Two characters have tried to make their lives better and the film is like, fuck you, no, don't do that. The the the, the good thing, if you can call it that, is um, they do choose just one location for basically the, the whole last act and I thought the location was quite interesting and worked quite well. But other than that, like, there's so little that's good to say about this. You have Eco Wires and, by the way, Tony Ja from Ong Bak, also in this film, Two of the great martial artists of cinema of the last 20 years and their fights are cut to ribbons. There ought to be a law. If you're mm-hmm. going to cast those men, there should be a Why law that dictates yeah. that you lock down yeah. the fucking camera and let them do their thing. 100% go for Let them fight. It mm. is offensive. It is. It offends me that this has happened. Flames, the, flames, flames on the side, side of my, of my face. face. The, 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 the dialogue isn't funny and Jason Statham is good at making things funny and he can't make most of this funny. Megan Fox has the most obnoxious character or introduction I have maybe ever seen. I I, I hated that. Um, and I just turned around, I mean, in, literally within sort of five, ten minutes of the film, I turned around to the person next to me and was like, this is really 
bad. Oh, did they know you? <laughs> they did. Actually, <laughs> definitely, yes. And 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 they went. Yes, this is a bad movie, and that it did not improve markedly I, from there. Was it Scott War? Yes. <laughs> uh, can I ask a question? Is the CGI as dreadful as it it's looks so on the trailer? Bad. Because it. It really feels like old school cinema. As someone pointed out, as someone pointed out, this cost the same as as Oppenheimer. Oh, wow. Now, admittedly, Ow. that's a film with a lot of room men in rooms talking, so you have some wiggle room around the edges to give it some scope. Right, I, I get that, but but at the same time, this. The, the, like explosions are badly done. Explosions are kind of VFX 101. That's what everybody spends like their first few years doing once they've done car ads, as I understand it. They look bad. The vehicles look bad, which are just shiny, hard surfaces. Some of the... Oh, it's just painful to watch. It is literally painful to watch. And again, the script, very, very bad. You could forgive a lot of this. The script is by Kurt Vimmer, Ted Daggerhart. Daggerheart, great name. It Max is a great Adams, name. Spencer Cohen, Chad and Daggerheart. Uh, Dave Callahan Ham obviously already created the characters, I guess. But look, it's just, it should be funny. It should be fun. It should be light. We, we are all action movie fans. We can mm-hmm. make a lot of allowances if the zingers are fun and the action is fun. And there are some fun moments of action. One of them bafflingly involving a 50 Cent song. And with 50 Cent in the cast, yeah. who recorded that song? I don't I, know. I refuse to believe there's a writer of action movies called Tad Daggerheart. He does sound that a lot like an great. expendable. That yeah. sounds like a pseudonym. It does. To me. Doesn't Tad Daggerheart. Yeah. Well, honestly, you know, also, there's a spin off Win a Date with Tad Daggerheart. <laughs> Is this wow. a Daggerheart I see before me? <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, I, I just thought it was it was very bad and, and a waste of really talented. Big stupid action movie people. Is yeah. there an argument to be made that this has perhaps missed the boat, missed its window by several years? I can't remember when the Expendables three came out. It's a long but time ago. It felt like that was. I can't remember anything about the Expendables three, including <laughs> yeah. having hosted the press conference. Well, Expendables but, two was over a decade ago. So yeah, yeah. But I look. There's not. You know, we've God knows we have seen enough delayed sequels in the past year or two to know that that's not necessarily a problem if the film is good but it's the, not the problem the problem is not that you know Sylvester Stallone isn't in the form he was in in Rocky or Rambo the problem is that nothing he does in this film is funny or charming or good or interesting <laughs> or in any way sensical that's Four stars, the Empire. sensical I like that yeah um, so there won't be an expend five balls there probably will be because some fucker's probably going to go and see this <laughs> don't don't be that probably, don't be I've that probably, guy look I've, I, if I've accidentally sold it to you because you, now you're like well I want to see how bad I it is I very much need to see this film it's not Immediately. Even, yeah, but it's not even like interesting bad. It's just like, oh, that's oh, that's disappointing. Oh, that's a mess. But Boy, the fact oh, is that you know, look at that look, should be better. Look at the cast they had previously, and with the best one in the world, they don't have a cast of the same caliber here. Look, I I just go watch Ong Bak, go watch the raid. You know, go watch fucking Rambo for all I care. Go watch Florence, son. Go watch Florence. Go go watch. I would honestly encourage you to watch anything else if you want some Megan Fox, and I understand that. Go and watch Jennifer's Body. Don't. Don't watch this. Or the one where she punches a lion. Oh yeah, as mm. as O'Hara. Rogue. 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 All right. 
Five stars then for The Expendables 4. What, what would you give it, Hellspells? What, have we, we, presumably we have a two. review, right? We gave it two. We gave it two. Mm. Okay. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not going to argue with a two, but like, I want to be clear, it's a very low two. This is not, this <laughs> is not like it's, it's not like a two, nearly a three. It, no. It's, it's, a, it's a one slash two stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'll, I'm not going to argue with your two, but no, not, no more than that. Not a close call with a three. All right. Okay. There we go. Two stars then for the Expend for Bulls. And uh, I think that's it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll, we'll be joined by... <laughs> Craig Gillespie. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Craig Gillespie, hey. director of Dumb Money. Uh, we'll be joined by John Carney, director hey. of Flora and Son. Woohoo. Uh, we'll be joined by Bono, who has apparently just beamed himself into my phone. <laughs> Only kidding. Love Bono. And we'll be joined by Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Exciting stuff to talk about that Roald Dahl short movie that he has made uh, for Netflix. You know the one. The, sh- the one about sugar. Mm, sure. Give me some sugar, baby. That's what the <laughs> that's what that's called next week. That's for sure. Uh, packed show. Packed show. So that's, that's Nobody gets Chris Anderson a Roald Dahl. <laughs> oh, dear. I like it. If it doesn't work the first time, you just say it again an hour later and hope it catches on. Yeah, that's that's always been my approach to humor. Yeah, stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, Uh, until then, until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. It is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo, toodaloo, Helen, toodaloo. It is goodbye from James Dyer. Bye bye. Please follow us all on Instagram. If you can find Chris. <laughs> if you can find me. <laughs> but Helen and I are very easy to find. I move around. I'm yeah. like, I'm like the, the, the Black Castle in yeah. Krull. <laughs> that is. Everywhere. Chris, you're it's a new rises place. with the dawn in the Iron Desert. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to read one more Roald Dahl. Maybe that one about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's him, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Ooba Loomba. Ooba Get to the chocolate factory. <laughs> why why are what's happening? Uh, yeah. I don't understand. Okay. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye bye.